Hello, everyone, and welcome back. It is March. We are mad. There are brackets. You know the deal. The deal? The drill? I kind of, I think I was trying to say drill and deal at the same time, so it came out as dill. Well, you know the deal, Pickle. This is the Media Boat Podcast. This is March. This is our March Madness Tournament for 2023. This is actually part four of our 2023 March Madness bracket, which of course is the Taylor Swift Eras Tournament. If you missed the first three parts, let me explain what we're doing here real quick. We are taking every album cut from Taylor Swift's catalog and ranking them to decide which one will ent- which ones will enter a bracket of 16 songs in which we will use to determine the best song on an album that Taylor has ever written. My name is Matt. His name is Mike. My name is Mike. His name is Matt. And don't worry if your actual NCA tournament bracket has been busted, because you got this one to look forward to. <laughs> where we have yeah. all your favorites still in the running. Or at least most of your favorites still in the running. Yeah, most of your favorites, because, as I implied, this is part four, which means we're in the home stretch here. We're in the last three records of her catalog. We started in part one with debut in Fearless, her country era, if you will. Moved on in part two to Speak Now in Red, her experimental era. Then slid through all the pop songs in the pop era, including 1989, Reputation and Lover. And today, hey, we're in this decade. We start with Folklore, move into Sister Album Evermore, and then, of course, 2022, just last October's Midnights, the modern era. So, what songs do we love? Which songs we did we love less? I feel like there aren't a whole lot that we hate from this era, so um, there'll be less negative talk uh, than I think the last one. But um, we'll have to make some tough choices, as only four songs can move on from all three of these records. So what four will they be? Let's find out by starting from the very top here and talking about Folklore. So um, Folklore is an interesting record uh, in um, Taylor's discography. Of course, it's the Pivot record. It was, you know, she had just released Lover at the end, by, and by the end of 2019, it looked like we were about to get a big tour the Lover and Friends tour. It was going to hit all sorts of different stadiums in the U.S. Looked like nothing was going to happen to to stop the train from rolling, right? Right? Well, uh, then, of course, we all know what happened. March 2020 happened, and the world was locked down because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Taylor had to change plans. So what does she do instead of touring? She records. But she not only records, she gets some new friends to record with, including indie producer Aaron Dessner, and the result was Folklore, a record that was inspired by indie rock and folk music and came from a completely different place um, than Lover had before it. Uh, what are your general feelings about Folklore? Uh, in general, when Lover came out, we were all excited for Lover East and Lover West to happen. And then it didn't. And then Lockdown happened. And then Folklore came out and it was... Somewhat of a fresh breath of air, which most people couldn't have at the time. <laughs> that, hey, we weren't expecting new Taylor. She literally just put out an album. What is going on? 
And for this to come out of basically left field and then kind of be a very different take on what we just got with Lover, we're like, oh, what is this, Taylor? And then not only that, but then she would then top it off um, by the end of the year with Evermore, basically a coming a double album of sorts. But we'll get to Evermore uh, as that was a December release. But right now we got Folklore to talk about. And we're going to start at the top with the first, the one, the The one. one. Yeah, Yeah, it's called the the one. one. The one. (laughs) So right out the top with the one, um, it kind of introduces the idea, the concept, like, um, of the record and what the sound is going to be from here on out. It's very pleasant. It's like you hear piano, you hear like very like. It's a different vibe than most of Lover and especially Reputation before it. It's a different kind of tailor right from the jump. Um, and I think it's a good introduction to what the rest of the record does. That being said, though, it kind of doesn't move a whole lot. It doesn't do a whole lot of things compared to especially the songs that follow it. And so even the production feels a little sparse. But as like a table setting, I feel like it does its job. I just don't think its job is very interesting when you consider what's to come. It has very asymmetrical verses. I mean, she's done this in the past, but more so here because, like you said, it is more of a piano ballad melody. Mm-hmm. And it does, like I said, set the table for folklore. And I think it needed to do that, especially, as I mentioned, coming off of Lover. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. There needs to be some sort of intro um to show you like okay this is going to be a little different than what you guys are used to um but i feel like it's not a memorable that memorable and i feel like it's not going to be something she'll like haul out for the tours i mean i could be wrong we are recording this actually after the era's tour has started um she yeah so you can go out there and look at footage i was actually just watching footage of a song we'll talk about later um from one of the shows and yeah i don't think this is one of those that's going to be like fans are going to be clamoring for her to play that being said you're right like a good like intro to what's to come here yeah so let's get to um probably the first single i think it was on the album it was it was the one that you released cardigan and the first of a um the was it taylor's Lover's Triangle song. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting... Um, what, one of the interesting things that Folklore does, and what Taylor was talking a lot, a lot about when it was released, was that she uses a lot of this record and Evermore that follows it um, to, like, instead of sing about her own lived experience, to basically tell some stories about these other characters whether or not they're based on real people who can say, whether or not sometimes they do reference things that happened to Taylor. Uh, well, that's likely too. However, to hear her say it, there is a story that she's telling and, and like you said, uh, takes part over the course of several songs here on Folklore. And yeah, it starts here with Cardigan. Um, as a song, Cardigan's interesting construction-wise. I noted that it, like a few other songs from this era, have actually two bridges. Uh, which is interesting. She kind of has like almost a second bridge that acts as a little bit of a coda in a way here. And she does it later again. And I just, Uh, I think you mean like a refrain, right? But it's not exactly a refrain because like when, when somebody says that it's something that's already occurred in the song. Um, 
what I mean by this is like there's a second part that acts kind of like a, another bridge into the court back into the chorus, but there's actually two separate ones that act differently. And she does that a few times. And yeah, she does that here with Cardigan. Um, I think it's pretty cool. Um, the second one is the better of the two, in my opinion. It, it really ends really strongly. But the best thing about Cardigan, I think, is the production that's happening here. It's so incredibly layered. Like, the one doesn't really give you a good demo of what Aaron Dessner's, like, touch is here on the record, but Cardigan does. Starting here, you hear so much happening. The little clopping sound that almost sounds like a, a horse running in the background. And then you kind of have the, the piano come in right after that. And it's just this very elegant, swooping kind of feeling that you get from the, the instrumentation here. And it's just, yeah, you find new things around every corner of this thing. And I like that she's exercising her lower register here. Uh, Taylor notably sings a little lower on folklore uh, than she had in the past. And so especially from going to doing from going through all the pop era songs last week, it was like wild to hear this and be like, oh, that's right. This is so much lower in your register. And I imagine a lot of that comes from the intimate home recording studio setting. I wonder how much of that is just her maturing too. That too, yeah. She's not really just uh, like in aging, but also in voice. Like you can't always sing that high register voice, but you can always sing her low register voice. Yeah. The other thing I have here down because we talked about it last week is like metaphors. They're here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Also, the, um, yeah. between the one and cardigan, I always confuse the two, but cardigan is always better than the one. Yeah, there's a reason why she picked this as the first single. It definitely has like the vibe of what this thing is. Um, but yeah, I don't know if it moves on though quite. I only have it as a B because it's not to me, it's not an a classic from the record. It's definitely like important. Um, as I'm going to move singing. it on because we're going to talk about the other two songs in that mm. trilogy later. Okay. So just to have some parody with it. All right. All right. So we'll, 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 we'll consider it again later, but I feel like there's some, a uh, couple of stronger ones that maybe will take its oh, place. There's definitely some stronger ones. Uh, but before we get to those, <laughs> maybe not fair to say, let's talk about the last <laughs> great American dynasty. Yeah, uh, The Last Great An American Dynasty is an interesting song. I, I have the first note here as it's what I call the humble brag song. <laughs> because it starts as like a very it, where she's just telling a story about uh, about this uh, woman, this this widow uh, of a um, of a like a magnate, an industry magnate. And about all the kind of strange thing that this woman did and how the re uh, the reaction to the people around her and like how she was just having fun. She was just the kind of woman that I think Taylor looks up to and wants to emulate somebody who is like successful, but has fun while she's doing it. Doesn't let anybody tell her, um, tell her that she's that she's not doing it correctly. Um, so she uses the kind of the storytelling here as kind of a metaphor for how I think she feels about her own self-image. Um, and then, of course, there's that twist near the end where it stops being a third-person narrative and all of a sudden she says, oh yeah, in the house that she lived in, I've literally bought that house. Me, Taylor Swift. Like, mm -hmm. I bought it. It's a power move. And yes, like I said, a humble brag. <laughs> um, and I think that's ultimately the most interesting thing of the song. 
overall it's not my favorite on the record it's fine um musically it doesn't do too much i do like the 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 bits in the bridge describing these very specific things that this woman did especially dying the neighbor's uh dog key lime green um it's very evocative it's very it's a very interesting story but yeah ultimately it's that twist into first person all of a sudden that i think makes it an iconic moment it's also a song that um has taylor um well not taylor but rather rebecca having a party talking that lavish lavish lifestyle (laughs) which links Um, it to our conversation that we had in um when we were talking about 1989 or no red with red. starlight and yes. uh, taylor's uh, uh taylor's obsession with icons from the past uh um, this goes here continues too uh, especially with rebecca being an actual person rebecca harkness right and the holiday house oh you look this up thank you yes. <laughs> i was literally just like this is what i remember <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah and um bought, bought, she bought uh, Rebecca Harkness Holiday House, and that's where this song comes from. Thank you. Um, yes, there are yes. several lines here about a woman going mad, um, a woman with madness, but the madness takes on several meanings because it's not necessarily going mad, but rather having this lavish lifestyle, going through money, but also like people calling Taylor Swift mad for even yeah. like buying this house. Well, of course, which presages a song later on the record, literally, Mad Woman. Yes, uh, which ex- uh, um, elaborates on that part of that idea in different ways, but uh, yeah, as a song though on folklore, I think it's interesting, but it's definitely not one of my favorites. It's a fine song, like a fine wine. I'm not always going to go back to it when it comes around. I'm like, yeah, okay, it's like, yeah, that's all right, nice. All right, let's move on to the next one then, which is Exile, which is the first of. Um, of the Bonnie Bear uh, duets, Bonnie Bear, you mean of course. Bunny Bear. Oh yeah, Bonnie Bear. Who am I saying? What am I talking about? No. Uh, so Bonnie Bear, aka Justin Vernon, um, indie staple, uh, Grammy winner, uh, Kanye West guest star a handful of times. Uh, he was kind of all over the place in the music industry, and uh, Taylor scooped him up, I think, on recommendation from Aaron Dessner for this and and Evermore, and. Um, Generally, how I feel about their duets, they have a couple of them, uh, is it's fine. Um, I don't love Bon Iver. I've never really dug his style. Exile is more in his style than Taylor's. It's a fine ballad. Bon Iver's all right in it, and the two sound okay together. But there's not a whole lot happening here. I think actually Exile is the least is the less exciting um, Bon Iver duet of the two. I rather like it i think uh, bonnie bear matches or sorry taylor matches her lower <laughs> register with bonnie bears yeah and it flows with the tone of the record it, itself it's one of the few times where taylor doesn't try to outshine him and instead tries to meet him on his level and sure. she has several um duets that we'll talk about <laughs> in in this where she doesn't let a lot of a lot of other people have the moment to shine Right, yeah. Um, and generally speaking, though, it is interesting to hear him use his lower register. He's um, uh, often operates in falsetto. Um, so this was kind of interesting at the time, being like, oh, wow, you got Bonnie Bear on the track, and then he's not even doing the Bonnie Bear thing? Uh, which just makes it kind of interesting. But as a ballad, it's definitely not the strongest ballad on the record. It just kind of comes and goes for me. But 
it does you're right it does fit the vibe of the record and just flow with the track list uh fairly well even if i personally probably would have moved it to the back half if i was doing the sequencing um yeah i don't know about sequencing i mean i think it's <laughs> fine where it's here um i do think that's a good like ex lover spat kind of a breakup song yeah. but also like I gave you so many signs. You <laughs> yeah. didn't give me any signs. That is the best. But you didn't part. see the sign. That's the that right there. That refrain at the end is the yeah. best part of it. Didn't see the signs. Ah, been there. But I gave you so many signs. <laughs> All right, let's move on to so something else. Many that's... signs. Yes. Yes. Well, let's move on to the next one, which is another kind of ballad. Uh, My tears ricochet. Um. I think that this song is kind of meh up until when the rhythm kicks in and that going into that bridge and then the final chorus. And I honestly do think that the vocal manipulation on Taylor's voice is a really cool effect. I will say that. But uh, generally speaking, this isn't one of my favorites on the record. It's fine. Um, But like, but the best, best part is that line where, which is obviously referring to Scooter Braun. When you can't sleep at night, you hear my stolen lullabies. Yeah, uh, that this, I mean, this album is going directly to Scott Borchetta and Scooter Braun. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, especially at the here. beginning with the funeral imagery, hearkening uh, <laughs> back to um, reputation with the uh, Taylor's Dead, the old Taylor's Dead line. We'll talk about her later, too. Yes. But <laughs> yeah, the, just the funeral imagery in here and that absolute power bridge. I can go anywhere I want, anywhere, just not home. Yeah. She she can't bring herself to go back to the country scene. Right. Because she's been basically exiled. Or more specifically, the song she recorded them. Like, she's just literally, they're not hers anymore. It's not, Mm -hmm. it's something that she can't revisit. So I think that the meaning behind it, I think, uplifts it a little bit more for me. But the song itself just doesn't do a whole lot of interesting things until that climax. Oh, the bridge climax. Yeah, uh, I think it's a nice companion piece to the, just to her for original her first one of her first hits, uh, tear teardrops on my guitar. Yeah, and I yeah. hear here you have your tears ricocheting. <laughs> Although, can you imagine if tears actually ricochet? That would be really weird. Oh, uh, they'd be flying all <laughs> over the place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my tears. Anyway. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if this one moves on. Um, There's some strong stuff coming up. I think there's stronger... I mean, I like it personally, but I think combined, there's some strong... There will be stronger stuff coming down the line that maybe won't hold up by the time we start paring it down. For sure. I like it. I like the song. Which, of course, brings us to the next song, which is one of the strongest songs on the record for certain. Um, Everyone's favorite, Mirrorball. Yes. Um, well, I just want you to know <laughs> that I that I love this song. Yeah, it's great. Uh, she kind of picks up where she left off with the archer on Lover. Mm-hmm. Um, it paints a really vivid picture of the fragile, vulnerable Taylor. Um, the one who feels like she has to prove herself every second. Like that she... Um, I noted here that... Um, uh, specifically, it reminds me, the theme of the song reminds me a lot of that bit in the Miss Ar- Americana documentary 
where she's kind of talking about her relationship with performance. I think it's in the context of how she feels when she's on stage, like she was during like the reputation tour, uh, where she feels like just being out there, having an audience react to her and hearing that applause is often like the fuel that she needs to keep going. It's the reason why she does what she does. And like, a song like Mirrorball really kind of peels that back that curtain and be like, no, this is why, because she feels like she has to constantly be out there all like do trying because she has that imposter syndrome. She has that imposter syndrome that she's not doing enough ever because she's not a natural, as she says here. I've never been a natural. All I do is try, try, try. And it's incredibly relatable. <laughs> like the <laughs> idea of just never be feeling like, I'm out there, I'm doing my thing, but if I don't get that, you know, feedback and I just feel like it's never going to be enough for anyone. And it's, it's also it's... a song that is very um, evocative of its time in mid COVID um, right before that line that you mentioned talking about, they called off the circus and burned the disco down that yeah. everybody went home. She was going to perform right. and they literally had to tear down the tents Yeah, because it's, no one yeah. was going to come. And so Taylor's probably sitting there being like, well, my reason to exist just went away. Like the thing that was going to keep me like in a good headspace just got like taken from me. What now? What do I need? What I can do now? And the, of course, the answer is, is she records a song like Mirabal, where she actually gets to like talk about these issues while it, over an extremely pretty track, just like it shout, just sounds amazing. The little bloop, 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 like the little sounds in the background are like audio versions of the light reflecting off of an actual disco ball. It's like, I don't know how, like, I'm not a musician. So like, I just, I envy the people who are able to translate things that are not music into music because it's like, fascinating to me like i wish i could do that but my brain just does not do that and so stuff like that is always like super cool and that's this is definitely a version of it it just sounds so pretty and immaculate and yeah that bridge is just an instant taylor classic for me so yeah this one this one's definitely upper echelon yeah uh and just my last thoughts on it that last line of that last outro uh, i'm a mirror ball and i'll show you every version of yourself tonight yeah it's evocative of just the range that she has that at some point you're going to find a Taylor song that's going to reflect yourself back at you just like a mirror ball does. Yeah. And that's an interesting read too, because I feel like the song is proposing that image as like both a positive and a negative though. Right. Because it's not only that she realizes that is part of who she is, but she also knows that that could be potentially deceiving that like, she also sees it like, she doesn't know, like, she doesn't trust in herself. So that mirror ball also means that she is doing that on purpose so that we like her. She's basically telling this person, like, yeah, I reflect all the, I reflect yourself back to yourself because I don't believe I am that interesting myself, is basically what she's saying. So, yeah, that's true what you're saying. It's just that because of that imposter syndrome, she mm -hmm. also acknowledges that that is also a problem that she doesn't exude her own like glow it's a, just a reflection okay yeah. we have to say something to talk about this song later <laughs> yeah, i know <laughs> i know but yeah like it's just an incredible an incredible metaphor an incredible song all right so it's going to move on yes, and like... let's then <laughs> let's us move on to the next song seven yeah uh 
sounds all right. It's not my favorite on the record, but man, uh, it just sounds amazing. Um, uh, just a beautiful arrangement. I also like that it's a portrait of childhood friendship, which is not something like something that maybe Taylor is like obliquely referenced before, but not written an entire song about like, it's just like, Hey, like this is a little portrait of somebody that she presumably grew up with and spending time with and the conversations that they would have about each other, about their families, about what they wanted to do, their dreams. Um, and I like how the melody evokes actual folk music on a record named Folklore. There's not a whole <laughs> actual folk happening, but here there is. There's that recurring uh, motif that evokes like songs like Dixie. The da 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 Even some of the lyrics like Sweet Tea in the Summer. Right, uh, yes. Moon, Love You from the Moon's Anti Saturn. Yeah, it's very, it reminds me a lot of like early American folk music which is not, ironically, for an album called Folklore, it doesn't actually do that much, and but it does here on 7. Um, my favorite line that I wrote down was, before I learned civility, I used to scream ferociously any time I wanted, which just evokes such a very childlike instinct, like, you know, kids running around screaming their heads off. But it also evokes kind of a... Um, a a almost like an innocent like an an innocence that allowed her to actually express herself, which I feel like any adult, just like Taylor in their thirties, probably looks back and like, man, I wish I had that back. I wish I had that feeling back where I could just yell and scream and tell somebody what I felt like and have that innocence back because now I feel like I'm that's been removed from me because of you know what the world expects of me and that I can't be that person anymore. I can't be that child. It's Taylor in conversation with her inner child in a way more interesting way than she had been in conversation with her inner child on songs like 15 um, or The Best Day. Like this is revisiting that tone, but in a completely way more poetic and more meaningful way. Yeah, I have here, it's a song about childhood. Mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily understanding the world around you and yeah. trying to make sense of it. And at times wanting to run away from your problems. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and yeah and i think that there's elements of that to her life now but like so it's so it's really meaningful i think that she was like reflecting on this specific kind of friendship in this specific moment in her life overall i mean like what i what seven i think establishes and is the biggest strength of folklore as a record and even differentiating itself from evermore is that it's so it's such a reflective record it is taylor really thinking about these things that have happened in her life or other people's lives and really boiling it down to what it ultimately means um you could argue that she loses a little bit of that on midnights but we'll talk about that later uh, <laughs> yeah we'll get to midnight but yeah i like seven i think it's a beautiful song i don't know if it moves on but it's definitely uh, a possibility i think it's like my tears ricochet yeah like, yeah same kind of level mm -hmm. good but not great and we're looking for great so oh, let's talk great. about great yeah all right and is summer loving is here it's <laughs> happening so fast <laughs> yes uh august is amazing i love everything about this song that's literally the first note i wrote down um <laughs> and yeah you're right it feels like a summer specifically like a teenage like last summer of high school kind of vibe it's just i don't again i don't know how make it sound like something like that but it does it's just it sounds like the heat is on you it's august it's like oh 
Like, what are we going to do after this summer ends? Oh, it's ending right now. Well, shoot. We got to like enjoy it while we have it kind of feeling. Um, I just, just the strings, just, uh, just, uh, I just don't even, I can't even put into words like what they do in that, especially in that climax at the end of the song when the outro and they just rush in at that one moment at that one point and just uh we're spoiled again by two bridges um that second one is just kind of a sped up version of the first and both of them i or i wrote down these lines because like all these are amazing just wanting was enough to me it was enough like just to be there in the moment and have that yearning that like young love feeling was enough it's just uh and then of course that innocence of meet me behind the mall hey remember malls taylor swift <laughs> remembers malls malls were great weren't they and just the idea of being a teenager and being like let's sneak out let's go behind the mall and like do secret stuff probably make out you know it was like it's such an evocative feeling and you know it goes hand in hand with the other specific images of like youth uh, that she brings up here, like sneaking a bottle of wine, like that kind of stuff. And then, of course, you weren't mine to lose. Just be like, well, there's clearly some other narrative happening in the background. Perhaps it's the same narrative that we're talking about with Cardigan and with Betty later, where there is some sort of love triangle occurring between these characters. And maybe this isn't. Maybe this is like illicit. Where maybe this is somebody else's uh, girlfriend or boyfriend that's uh, sneaking around being with this person. Who knows? And the fact that these are all just vague hints at what's happening makes it all the more relatable and evocative of that feeling that everybody's had. It just So it might be an illicit affair. <laughs> it might be. We'll get there later. But <laughs> the way it's sung and the way it's spun is that this is just a summer fling. Yeah, and that's what it is. It's a like, yeah, let's meet you behind the mall, and like you said, because you're never mine to lose. So if I can't lose you, it means I never had you, which means what exactly are we doing here? We're just flirting, and that's what kind of this song evokes. It's very poppy. It's very flirty, and yeah, it's about being like the other girl for the summer and still wanting and pining, and yeah, yeah. wanting was enough. It's all of that, and, but I yeah, don't think it's... The line here I have is uh, for the hope of it all. Yeah, yeah, for the hope of it all. For it's the just hope really... that maybe you can change someone. Right. It or is be just... with someone. Yeah. What is it... the hope enough of it? Yeah, like that sums it sums up that kind of yearning feeling for sure and that it has. And then, yeah, but the thing is, is that it all sounds like, like you said, kind of poppy and fun. But the thing that makes it work is that it doesn't sound like that. It sounds romantic it sounds expansive it sounds big in that enchanted kind of way like she is definitely in that mode here where it's like yeah this the the lyrics are talking about like a summer fling but it feels like forever it feels like the biggest romance of your life and i think that's on purpose i think that that juxtaposition of this is just a moment in time like which she even says in the song combined with the biggest feeling instrumental like instrumentation in the world is absolutely on purpose because that's how it feels when you're 17 and you see the entire future before you. It's just ah, so good. So, and so yeah, there's even uh, lyrics on here that will be called back to later on in the album. Yes. Yes. Which is something that she does very I don't know, smartly, uniquely. 
Yeah, I think one of the other cool things about folklore is is that it exists in its own little world and Mm -hmm. that all these things are little moving parts that self-reference each other later. All right, so we're going to move that one on because we just talked a lot about that. Oh, yeah, easily. Now let's get into some other good-ass songs. (laughs) Yeah, there's a string of really good ones coming up here. Um, Yeah, This Is Me Trying is Mirrorball Part 2. It's basically expanding on that feeling of needing to prove yourself um, and not feeling like you're enough. Except this time, unlike Mirrorball, it doesn't sound as anxious. It sounds like a groove. It's a little bit of like a like a slower kind of rock back and forth kind of thing. Um, and I really like the the, the vibe of this song. Um, it's an incredibly relatable feeling, begging for someone to realize like, like, hey, look at me. I'm trying. Like, look over here. Be like, no, like, believe it or not. I'm giving you everything that I have. I know it might not be enough for you, but for me, it is like sapping me of my energy. Like I am over here wasting my potential. Like that's what that's what I have that written down. I got wasted. Like all my potential was the best line on this song. It's just so it's so like perfect for like that really desperate, desperate feel. And even the production is playing that game too. I wrote down that the bridge, how the, how the, there's like a weird echo effect on her voice, and it literally sounds like Taylor is folding into each into herself because that's how desperate she is. She's just like, oh, when I like what was if she feels like an open wound, it's just like, oh, I'm just like I can't like prove it to you anymore. Like I'm trying so hard. Please realize that. And it's just, uh, it's 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 brutal. It's a lyrical gymnastic feat. <laughs> That's what I have here, especially in those verses. Like you said, I was caged. Uh, uh, yeah, I was caged. Oh, sorry. All my cages, cages were, mental, were mental, so I got yes. wasted like all my potential. Yes. The, uh, then I was so ahead of the curve, the curve became a sphere <laughs> yeah. and fell behind all my classmates, and I ended up here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the... The, the strong imagery that Taylor mm-hmm. writes into this these strong uh, lyrical connections that she makes as well yeah, without I mean, actually losing the audience. Like, where is she going with this? <laughs> I mean, that's the thing with the, writing these notes. At first I was like, am I going to have much many notes about this? And then I realized what I ended up doing was I was just writing down lines that I liked. <laughs> like there's so many lyrics that I wrote down between folklore and evermore. And yeah, there's a reason for it because she's in poem. She's in poet mode throughout mm-hmm. this whole thing. And like, it, they're really, really, really some really strong lines here. Um, yeah, and this yeah, isn't rhyming Taylor. This is poetry Taylor. But it may also rhyme. She's just that good. Uh, but yeah, uh, just really, really good. And I think, yeah, it goes hand in hand with Mirrorball for like giving you a real picture of that vulnerable Taylor. So does it move on, though? Uh, I think Mirrorball maybe is the better song of the two and because of their similarities i do think it has an advantage so maybe it doesn't in but but mirrorball definitely does all right so that was her trying and she (laughs) tried better on other songs okay (laughs) so this is her cheating yes speaking of having illicit affairs yeah yeah this is her having a literal affair but in her head Yes, well, no, I feel like this actually is happening. Um, 
But again, this is Taylor uh, writing from another person's perspective. She swears up and down that this is not something that she's actually done. Uh, because it definitely sounds like this is a somebody in a established long-term relationship, uh, you know, going out and uh, having some fun on the side. Um, and it's basically a, it's a par- fairly basic infidelity story, like, to be honest. But what changes this uh, this song from being basic and, like, lifts it up to the stratosphere is, of course, hey, drink that killer bridge. <laughs> Just, uh, it just goes, it just goes, like, capital G. Um, you showed me colors you know I can't see with anyone else. Basically saying to this guy, like, there's nothing else out there like you. Like, I came, like, we're having this because I can't get this experience with my relationship. I can't get this experience with anyone. You literally, like, being with me, like, like, gave me unrealistic expectations for everything out there. And then a secret language that no one can speak besides them. Like, it's the same kind of thing. And then, but it all, but it all doesn't hold the can't, like, can't hold the candle to how this ends, which is, of course, you don't, you know damn well, for you, I would ruin myself a million little times. Just, oh, imagine if someone told you that. Like, like, imagine if somebody literally said those words to you. You wouldn't know how to feel. You'd just be baffled. Just be like, oh, Jesus Christ, are you okay? Like, would you really, like, ruin your entire life for this to keep going? But that's how passionate this affair is. And it offers such a, like, a specific feeling and emotion to it that I think that raises it above a typical story or typical song about cheating. Uh, but you're right, though. That bridge definitely is what saves this song. I think mm-hmm. without that bridge, it becomes a C song, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just a very like straightforward, like of kind of cheating affairs. We're hiding yeah. it. We're lying. Right. But the bridge and the imagery again. I mean, I'm gonna drink every time I say yeah. imagery here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and bridge drink. It's the details. It's yeah. the details, which is the reason why everybody says, you know, all too well is so great. It's because it's not the, it's not the big picture story. It's the specificity of it. Like, it's the same thing about humor, right? Like, jokes are funny the more specific they are. Same thing for a Taylor Swift song. She's in her best element when she's giving you the clearest picture of what's happening. And that's not just visual details like the scarf. Here, it's the emotional detail. It's the how specific she is about like getting you into the mind of someone who is in this affair and make, getting you to like almost sympathize with the person or at least understand why they're doing this to themselves. Because to them, in that moment, it's worth it to destroy their entire life, which is just, oh, it's, it's, it's brutal. But it's a great, great, great song. Um, but man, it's really hard. We're getting to, to the point where it's so hard to choose because so much <laughs> is so good. So does it move on? Uh, maybe for now, but I just can't see it lasting very long. That's okay. We'll we'll talk about more about it later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so let's go to the next one. Yeah. Invisible string. And hey, yeah. guess what? The color coding's back. Yeah, colors. I wrote that down too. I was just like, <laughs> "Hey, Taylor's listing colors again." 
Um, but this is also a detail song, but in more in the way that All Too Well is, where it's like she's taking note of these things, like the color of her brother, like of her of boyfriend's brother's wall, um, the shirt that he wore at his first job, like little bits and pieces of conversations that they've had. And she's listing all these things to basically be like, yeah, that's just like parallel to like all the details of my life. And it's almost fate that brought us together, which is something that she actually uh, the whole fate idea is something she throws out the door later on midnights. Um, But for now, she still likes living in that world where she believes that this was something that was just always going to happen, that there was literally an invisible string that was tying them, that was slowly pulling on both sides to the middle to get them to meet each other. I think it's cute, but I think it falls a little false to me, like most songs that she wrote for Joe do, where it's just like, I guess it's cute, but like cute only goes so far for me. Um, I think the bridge also is a little disappointing here. Um, it's an all right song. I do like the little bit where she mentions that she buys her ex's children presents. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very funny, it's a very Taylor little, like almost kiss off kind of move where she's like, yeah, I used to hate his guts, but, uh, I don't know. He just had a baby. So I was just like, I'm, I'm send him some clothes. I'm like, why not? I'm nice. <laughs> but, uh, besides that, it's like, it's all right. It's cute, but it doesn't like, yeah, the cute, cute Taylor doesn't go as hard for me as the other versions of Taylor we get here. I think this is one of the few songs where I prefer the long pond sessions to the um, original song. Sure, sure, yeah. Because in the long pond sessions for Invisible Strings, it's just her and the guitar, and she's just plucking away. And it's acoustic and it's gorgeous, and it's just do, 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 do. Uh, whereas here, I don't know if it just hinders it or just hides the lyrics, rather. But I do like the um the continuing lines of the strings of fate and working against and then back for time and time itself. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting uh, construction, certainly, and I do it. I do admire that about it. Um, but it probably doesn't move on. Uh, no, I mean, it's one that I'd like to move, see move on, but <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, there's a lot of other things happening here. All right, so let's harken back <laughs> to the heartless story of Last Great Marian Dynasty and talk about that mad woman. So yeah, mad woman is interesting because Taylor does a trick sometimes with her songs where she's like, here's what this theme is relating to me but also here's what this theme is relating to a more general subject and with mad woman what she does is this has been my experience but then in the second verse she's also like but this happens to a lot of women is basically the argument she's making there's an it's basically saying in a similar way to the man it's basically saying it's hard for women in general because we're often like they're like she's saying that we're often like you know said to be crazy anytime we do anything like there's no way to do to act as a normal person without being seen as insane or like the things that you do like are just always going to bring this kind of attention to you um and that's basically what it is here um i think it's an okay song i like a couple of moments it's also the first time she says fuck on a song which is notable um the bit 
about women like hunting witches too seems to be a pretty obvious reference to the Kanye and Kim Kardashian call and how Kim was recording it almost on purpose as like evidence. And uh, it seems like very clearly like this is what she's referring to there being like, it's not just the men. It's, it's also the people who are like empowering them to do awful shit. And then also I like the bit where like, there's a distortion that happens on the word angry uh, during one of the verses. That's really cool. And it really hits that nail on the head about like, Oh no, she's pissed. And she wants you to know like that. This is, this is angry, angry Taylor coming across in this song. Oh yeah, this uh, is don't mess with Taylor song. Right. I like the I like the sentiment as a song. It's not the strongest thing for me. Um, but like I like where it's coming from and I like the mode the Taylor's in where she's just pissed off and talking about like it should be this way. Like we're not all crazy. Uh like why why is this such a like a prevail prevailing theme? Uh I mean I've touched on it on last night, Great American Dynasty, but yeah, but in here more so, Mad Woman with the different reflections of mad, mm-hmm. and like, oh, you're just saying I'm mad because I am a woman. Like this isn't like you wouldn't be saying this if I wasn't, right? And um, the line, uh, you poke that bear till her claws come out, mm-hmm. and uh, just getting to the heart of this song of. You're saying she's mad because you see the claws, not that you're the cause of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, it has the imagery that we like, but it's done better on other songs. Yeah, I I, I agree. So let's move on then um, to the next song. Speaking of COVID-19... Here's Epiphany, um, which is one of the saddest songs in her catalog. It's not quite as sad as Soon You'll Get Better or Ronin, uh, but it's definitely up there. Just the imagery that it evokes of, like, the darkness of war and, like, the brutality of it. And then in the second verse, the bleak feeling it was to live at that time and see people recovering from COVID. That image of hands through plastic is one of the most clear and depressing imagery i think of the 2020 the 2020 covid era just it's so like it just immediately flashes me back to those images that we were seeing in newspapers and news coverage of people in the emergency room you know dealing with respiratory issues from covid and just immediately just takes you back there and it's not a place i want to go back to it's not a it's not a comforting feeling. It's really disturbing. It's really, yeah, it's brutal imagery. And Taylor's using it on purpose here because it's just this, this feeling of that losing that hope, like having that hope, hope taken away from you. But instead using that as almost like the starting point for maybe keeping going. But it's just such a hard song to listen to for me. Well, and that's where the epiphany comes in. Is... Yeah the line of just a single glimpse of relief to mm-hmm. make sense of what you've seen. Yeah. But it, that's a good line for both. Like the soldier in the war that is uh, prevalent in the first verse and then the healthcare worker in the second verse. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, it's a but the song itself though is a very metronome mm-hmm. kind of a lullaby song. Yeah, and that's what I have written down here. Like it, it, I like the imagery and I like the detail and I like the sentiment. Uh, but ultimately, as a song, it's not doing a whole lot. It's like you said, there's that monotony in the in the rhythm and in the um, in the electronic instrumentation and doesn't do it doesn't move very far from that zone and the song thus doesn't match the the music does not necessarily match what the lyrics are doing and it, yeah and, and yeah like you said it's it's a very downer of a song yeah yeah it's it's so it's yeah it's just not fun to listen to and i get that it's not supposed to be <laughs> no it's but, not supposed to be but it's so, the same does time. that mean that's so uh like i say with villains yeah. If you're supposed to hate it, it's supposed to not be good. <laughs> is it doing its job too well then? Yeah, I think it might be. <laughs> um, yeah, so definitely a sad one and definitely important in the catalog, but like not something that I'm like always ready to listen to. <laughs> but if you're looking for a sad song to hear, it doesn't yeah. quite get as much as sadder as that. Yeah. All right. So that one probably doesn't move on, but let's talk about a Stone Cold classic. All right, bring in Betty. Yes, and that amazing harmonica. <laughs> yes, that's what I have here. Just the first thing is harmonica's exclamation point. <laughs> I remember the uh, rev- there was a review I read at the time uh, when Folklore first came out. And it, the, I forget who wrote it, what site it was on. But I remember the one part I remember most was they described that that first harmonica bit in Betty as a literal breath of fresh air. And that's literally how it feels every time I listen to it. It feels like the wind just whipped through and just you you caught you caught wind of it, I guess. And you were like, whew. It's just every time it just really just whips through and just comes in and surprises you. It just like sounds so good and pristine in the mix. And then there's the rest of the song too. But just Betty is classic Taylor Swift storytelling to the T. In an alternate universe, this was a song on Fearless. Like, it's that simple and that, like, clear in its songwriting. It's Taylor and the most Taylor that she's at on Folklore. But then the production is that stripped-down Aaron Dessner feel that kind of gives it a little bit more depth than something on Fearless would have. It doesn't have that CD-era sheen to it. It doesn't need it. It's a modern-sounding interpretation of the kind of song she used to write. And it's also a relatable story. Again, we're going back to that teen romance theme from August. But with more specific details, we have names. We have a specific scenario. We have a party. Should he go to the party? Probably not. But does he? Of course he does. <laughs> he drank, He dreamt of her all summer long. So of course he showed up to try one more time because, and I have the other line I wrote down, right now is the last time Wait, let me let me click on it uh, to bring up the whole time, whole thing here. Right now is the last time I can dream about what happens when you see my face again. It's so like a it's so evocative of a specific feeling of being like, I don't know how they're going to react. Maybe it'll be positive. And having that image of my of in your mind, like, what if it goes well? What if she's like super happy to see me? And then we and then we have what we lost again. Like that we get to live in that moment that I've been dreaming about one last time. 
Or it could be a complete disaster and she could tell me to go fuck myself. But th- at least I should try, is basically what he's telling himself. Is like, again, and it's back to that recurring theme from Mirrorball and This Is Me Trying. It's like, I want to at least show that I care. I want to at least show that this is something, an effort that I'm putting out for this love because I believe that it should can continue. But paired with that innocence of being a teenager and being a goofy dude, I mean, we were both teenage boys. We know how they think. And they're not being smart. 17. Yeah. Being 17, being like, well, I don't really know what I'm doing here, but I know yeah. that I really want to be with you. Yeah. And that's all you know. And so you do stupid things, like yeah. show up at the party. But then that key change at the end just is the little cherry on top, just to be like, yeah, no, he showed up. And in fact, he showed up so much that we're going to go up a key and talk about how amazing that feeling was, even though we don't know necessarily how it ends. Yeah, I mean, that's a good use of turning that chorus from mm-hmm. if I showed up to your party, yeah. would you still have I did if I came and then, well, yeah. here I am. I showed up at your party. Yeah, it's just it sounds I think the coolest trick that it does is it sounds triumphant, but it doesn't tell us whether they got together again because it doesn't matter because Taylor's not talking about it being this isn't love story anymore. The end of this story is no longer and the guy got the girl and everybody was happy. The this end is, of this story I'm confronting is, what I've been fearing. Right. Yes. The end of this story is 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 instead this this character being like, I did it. This is the moment that I wanted. I don't know if it's going to work out, but this is how I'm feeling in this moment. And that's the story of Betty. That's why it matters. It's the this emotional is- growth that's come from uh, Speak Now, from yeah. where she's like, hoping and wanting and pining mm-hmm. to in the last chorus actually doing something and actually yeah. showing up to the party yeah you're right it's a fearless or speak now era song sung from a a taylor swift who is 30 years old and then knows better it's an adult talking about a feeling that you have as a teenager and yeah, it's unique because of it it's just such an incredible song and i also like how there's these par- all these parallels with other songs in her catalog about being laughed at by all, all like kissing in front of your stupid friends, <laughs> <laughs> which happens in the all too well 10 minute version. It happens again in a song that we'll talk about later um, on Midnight's. It's just, yeah, I love that this is something that she thinks about a lot. It's like, oh, in front of all your stupid friends and they all laugh. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love De- uh, Betty. It's, it's an absolute classic. Yeah, and uh, it calls back to the two other songs in this uh, in this album, Cardigan and August, with lines like, I slept next to her, but I dreamt of you all night long. Uh, she said, James, get in the car. Yeah. And then the titular Cardigan. Yep. Still wearing it. Still in there. Of course. Yep. It would Standing be in your cardigan. Yes. Yeah, Cardigan, Cardigan is such a cardigan. great rhyme. Yeah, yes. it's just a beautiful piece of of rhyming. Um, of course, we would be remiss to note, note that yes, there is some questions about whether the tri- love triangle here uh, is between two women and or two girls and a boy, or if all three of these characters are girls. The reason why I mention this is because they're all of the characters are named in these songs, and they're all the names the real life names of Blake Lively and Ryan Reynolds, actual real life daughters. 
Of Betty and James. Betty, James, and um, um, Inez. Inez. Yes, are three are the three daughters that they that they that are their actual three daughters' names. So there is some speculation um, when folklore was first released. Is Taylor writing about like about like for the first time about like a gay relationship here? It's possible, but in the, the aforementioned um, long pond sessions, she pretty much nixed it. She mm-hmm. uses a male, uh, she uses male pronouns to refer to James when she is describing the songs. So after that, the theory kind of went out the door. But I feel like there's a way to interpret this, especially with that cardigan. Why is he wearing that cardigan? <laughs> Makes you think. Anyways, <laughs> I want to at least mention that because I feel like it should be mentioned. <laughs> but yeah, um, we can move on from Betty now, but it definitely moves on for sure. Okay, Betty will move on, but we need to move on to the penultimate song here, Peace. Uh, And yeah, yeah, it's okay. I I just have the one line here, um, hearkening to the song, The Devil's in the Details. Yeah. Which I didn't pay attention to. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Well, there you go. It's in the details. Um, yeah, uh, Pieces is a fine song. I actually do like the sentiment. In fact, I referenced this when we were talking about a different song on, I believe, Reputation. Um, we're talking about the concept where Taylor is concerned that anyone that is going to be close to her, especially in a romantic way, is has to brace themselves for absolute chaos because dating Taylor is probably chaos. And she knows this. She does not live a normal person's life. So she basically has to warn everybody that gets involved with her ahead of time. Hey, I cannot guarantee that there will be peace in our relationship. You're going to have to deal with the press. You're going to have to deal with people constantly speculating about what we do, where you are. Like even this week, people are like, why aren't we talking about where Joe was during the first two nights of the of the the Eras tour? It's like, who cares? Let him live his life. But the fans demand to know. But that means that he will never get peace as long as he's dating Taylor and Taylor herself will never get peace because this is the life that she's chosen. Um, And yeah, I do like that. This is a song about that because I think like it is a very unique situation that she's in and that she does feel conflicted feelings about Um, the vibe of the song. Meanwhile is interesting because it's almost kind of a B side to false God on lover the vibe and the kind of groove to it and the construction of how the lyrics work reminds me a lot of false God, which is kind of counter to what it's trying to do, but makes it an interesting song. It's a fine song. I mean, yeah, it does contrast, like you said, her name or her relationship with Joe Alwyn, but Mm -hmm. it's like a fire and ice song. It's there. It's, yeah. Talking about like, yes, there will be heartbreaks, there will be some hardships. We don't know if we'll ever see peace here, but if you're with me, maybe we could just be enough between us. Yeah. And would it be enough if you could never get peace? Yeah, that's the kind of question. I feel like you can feel that tension where she's not even sure. So mm-hmm. she wants this person to know just in case, hey, like if you're thinking that this is going to be simple, it might not be. Um, but yeah, it's a fine song. It doesn't move on, though. I feel like it's it's pl- a thing that she's treaded before, and it doesn't do anything particularly wild. Um, All right. And that brings us to the, the last song. Yeah. 
perfect segue into the last song, Hoax, Hoax because it also doesn't do a whole lot interesting uh, for me. The very sparse production uh, feels a bit like an anticlimax at the end of the record. Like, I feel like the record is kind of, there's so many interesting things happening elsewhere that here to end on this note does feel like pretty much just on a piano. The ballad feels a little flat. I do like some of the imagery, though. Like, the, the, the specifically the imagery of her be- feeling like she was pulled apart and how this, like, purported breakup that's happening here was just as bad as that. Just, like, it evokes, like, we know when she's referring to, of course, if this is a first-person narrative, which, you know, jury's out. She's talking about, of course, you know, how, like, her own fans kind of turned on her during um the reputation era stuff and she's kind of like talking about like this idea of like feeling so hurt that it reminds her of when she was going through that the worst part of her life kind of that feeling and that is brutal imagery it's like really really like shows you how low that her lower point lowest point was um again a weird vibe to end the record on to me like a record that is otherwise so interested in new love and the past and building and these like stories about emotion to end it on kind of a like a piano song that doesn't go very many places and it's about that's kind of a downer it's just a weird move to me well this is also an album that what came out during covid yeah so to end on a downer is kind of par but where the world was it? <laughs> yeah, I guess at the time. Right. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, but yeah, no, like if, to end on such a um, down note coming from peace and even epiphany, not yeah. too far before that, right? Outside of Betty, yeah, it's just a downer ending. Yeah, the, yeah, the second or a half melancholy of- downer ending. Yeah, yeah. The second half of folklore, you could argue, is not as strong as the first. Um, mm-hmm. But Betty is definitely that centerpiece, centerpiece for sure. And yeah, it is kind of like a little bit of an anticlimax after that. All right. Uh, so anyway. what we have moving on for folklore is Cardigan, Mirrorball, August, Illicit Affairs, and Betty. Those are some good-ass songs for but sure. But let's get into the second half of yeah. folklore. With Evermore. Yeah, Evermore. Surprise drop. No one saw it coming. She just recorded so many songs during those folklore sessions that she was like, hey, I can make a whole another record. And and thus she did. Evermore feels to me as like, take comes from the same starting point as folklore, but branches off in some really interesting experimental directions. And to me, I think it's the more interesting record of the two, but it's less consistent. Uh, so it's an interesting thing, uh, evermore. Uh, but yeah, let's start from the top here. Start with the first yep. single, Willow. Yeah. Um, I really liked the the line. I just have lines here. <laughs> uh, you wreck, yeah, wreck my plans. That's my man. Yeah. Willow uh, feels like Philip feels like it should have belonged on folklore. Yeah, Willow feels like almost like what I wish that the one did better, which is yeah. like. It's not only table setting, but it's also it's fun without like sacrificing the vibe that you want from this kind of thing. It's very vibey song. It immediately I wrote down immediately feels like we're in the woods. Like 
there's something again that that the sound, the music evokes that it feels like I'm like looking at trees. I'm just like walking through the trees. It's just such a very specific visual that I get from the song. And I like that back and forth feeling of the groove, like the groove of the song. It's just like da 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 da. It's really driving and it's really fun. Um, and yeah, uh, and I the line I wrote down, of course, is I come back stronger than a '90s trend. <laughs> <laughs> you sure do taylor yeah sure do and uh, that's yeah. a part of that bridge and she knows how to write a good bridge oh yeah it's good it's good shit um it's a good way to start the record it's not my favorite song on the record but yeah it's it's a pretty good one yeah it's a good way to start it's a good way to be introduced to hey did you like uh folklore well guess what here's evermore and right, right along with it into willow yeah all right. Okay, but that one probably move, move on because yeah, okay. we've got other stuff that definitely will, such All as right. such as champagne problems. The champagne problems, as I mentioned, I was watching uh, footage from the Eras tour before I started this. Specifically, I was watching her performance of Champagne Problems because holy shit, she even knows what this song does to her fans. Literally before the bridge uh, during this performance, she says into the microphone, "Ready." Because she knows, like, she literally knows how great this bridge is and how great, like, how much it just destroys. Like, I literally wrote down, the bridge demolishes everything. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, before that, even though it's even great Taylor Swift storytelling, it's so evocative. You immediately see that that this person on the train, like, nervous about and thinking about, like, watching, like, thinking about all these awful memories swimming back into her head like about the about this guy who's like supposedly like like that she's even worried about like even thinking about all like you can tell that this protagonist is like oh like these problems sound so trivial but to me like this was this just i can't deal with the aftermath of this breakup or break or whatever's happening here again Uh, yeah i like that the first verse Gives you the ending before yeah. you even figure out what happened. Right. And it's such a great Taylor construction because it's it's vague enough where you're not really sure what happened. It instead does the thing that we talked about earlier. It talks about the emotions of that moment. It talks mm-hmm. about how it feels more than about exactly what it was. And that's the part that matters. But yeah, that bridge. I wrote down three or... Did I write down yeah, three different lines from that bridge? Because it's just so great. Soon they'll have the nerve to deck the halls that we once walked through. The nerve! Like, be like, <laughs> no, this was such an important relationship to me. I don't even want them to touch this place. Yeah, I know the holidays are coming up. But, like, I don't want them to change anything about it. It almost revisits that feeling of Cornelia Street, right? Where she's like, I can't even bear to look at that place if something bad happens. And in this case, something bad has happened to this place that they shared memories in. And she doesn't want to think about it. She doesn't even want to deal with the fact that other people are moved on because she has not. She has not moved on yet. And then, of course, the immortal, she would have made such a lovely bride. What a shame she's fucked in the head. Just what a what a collection of words. Just like, just like, again, it's just imagine somebody saying that about you. Imagine that. Like. 
what the hell? It's just wild and just brutal in so many ways. And then she'll patch up your tapestry that I shred. Just being like, yeah, I know you'll be with somebody else. And yeah, they'll probably like fix you. But that probably makes me feel even worse. Like it's that, you know, it's that um, it's almost like happier uh, from Olivia Rodrigo's, uh, Rodrigo's Sour. Where it's just like, yeah, you, you're probably going to date somebody else. But you just I don't want them to make you happy. I don't want them to help you because you screwed me over like it was bad like no it can't be better than us we were the best like it's just such specific emotional storytelling here that's just yeah i just don't know how she did it (laughs) but even like when you patch up something like a tapestry there's still the stitches there's still the seams (laughs) there's still those cracks in the lines left because of what she did yeah 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 this is indelible, like forever. A um, again, we'll talk about this later. Like possibly a um, say a legacy, a real fucking legacy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, but yeah, uh, just champagne problems. Just such a classic. Uh, it's just I and the fact that she reacted that way when she was performing it knows she knows how much of a classic it is for the fans and how the how the fans just go feral for that bridge. Uh, I mean, it's also just the title itself, Champagne Problems, is like yeah. rich people problems. Right. It's like, yeah, it's other so people sp- have problems. It's so specific to be like, there's other problems out there than just us. Yeah. But it, it's so all smart. you can think about is us. Yeah, it's such a smart title because it's it works two ways. It's 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 that it's the classic meaning, which is like, oh yeah, people probably think, oh, us rich people, we can't have these like we don't these things don't actually matter because we're rich and we can solve them but then it's also like no other people don't understand not just because you know we maybe come from money maybe these characters do it's unclear but it seems like it's implied that they do but well, Dom Perignon says they do yeah <laughs> but also because they don't understand what that felt like it's, so it's double it's not just they think it's champagne problems not because of just because of the money they think it's champagne problems because they weren't there they didn't mm-hmm. go through it like she did. And she wants everyone to know through this song that this is how she felt. Again, the character, not necessarily Taylor herself, but I'm sure she's, you know, using things that has, she has like felt before. So it moves on. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, but let's move on. All right. So let's move on to the third song. We're only three songs into this thing. Yeah. Gold Rush. I like Gold Rush a whole lot. I really like this song. It seems like I'm on an island here, though. It seems like there's like, I saw, I see a common TikTok format, which is like, what's the most skipped album or skipped song on each Taylor Swift album? Apparently fans don't like Gold Rush, and I just can't, I just can't get on board with that. I think it's such a rush. Rush is right. It is a rush. There's a building momentum throughout the song and then this crashing down at the end and you know i mentioned a handful of times on these podcasts that that's one of my favorite things that taylor does when she's writing a song it's just that roller coaster up to to careen down and gold rush really does that for me and what a picture she's she's uh painting here this is a situation where she knows somebody who's so beautiful like she's dating someone who is so beautiful and that everybody wants them like whether it's for fame or just pure beauty it's just like there and the weirdest thing here is that it definitely does not sound like she is talking about a man here 
I'm sorry. I refuse to believe that this man's hair falls down like that. Like, come on. <laughs> uh, you, refer, you refuse to believe the Eagles t-shirt hanging from the door? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's little bits and pieces, details here that I'm just like, there's no way this song is talking about a man. Anyway. Well, because I, I put that in like question mark, like, huh? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, anyway, but yeah, this person's so beautiful that they're not, the, the narrator here, or Taylor herself, isn't mm-hmm. even sure if she could deal with that kind of pressure. She's basically saying, like, it's too hard. Like, it's too hard to, like, see everybody wanting you in the way that they do. It makes it, and it's so, to such an extent that she's like, this is just not going to happen. Like, this relationship's not going to work out. Because, it, like, she says... It fades into the gray of my day old tea because it can never be. She's like, no, we can't even date because the pressure is too hard that every you're out of my league is basically what she's saying. It's like everybody wants you. I can't deal with it, even though the love is strong. It even sounds like a really nuanced relationship, too. It seems like they have their ups and downs. There's the bit about like how she has to like make excuses when she talks shit at the dinner table. Like, it's like, it's just like, you get this very clear, and yeah, and the Eagles t-shirt, of course, where it's just like, you get this idea of like, it's not, you know, there's trouble in paradise here between the two of them, but ultimately Taylor has already made up her mind. She's like, no, we're not even going to date anymore because this is too complicated for me. (laughs) Yeah, everybody loves you. But the most, I think the most interesting thing about the construction of the song, though, is how surprisingly short it is. These two records the songs are generally fairly long, like four minutes plus. Uh, Gold Rush, meanwhile, clocks in at a clean three minutes and one second, and it doesn't even have a bridge. It's in, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and it's out. And I really, like, admire that kind of economic, like, that kind of economical, like, songwriting, because Taylor doesn't use it that much in this modern era. She's usually pretty maximalist. But here she actually showed some restraint. I think it's for the benefit of the song. I think I would have liked the song or rated the song better if it didn't give me prequel vibes to Snow on the Beach <laughs> in Midnight. <laughs> but again, this would you wouldn't have known what that song was when this had first yes. released. Yeah. So but yeah, there's a little bit of, I don't know if I agree with that. I think Snow on the Beach, we'll talk about it later, but like, I feel like yes. it's a little bit of a different story about a different kind of relationship. Um, that's more like, the perspective I see on that song is more like, I can't even believe that we're dating at all. Like, I can't even believe this is happening. This seems like an impossible thing that is happening. Here, it seems like maybe that was how it started. But yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Like, it is almost like, I feel like almost Snow, in the, Snow on the Beach is the prequel to this, is what I would say. Where it's like, yeah, it started that way, but now she's having doubts. And that's the uh, subject of Gold Rush, where it's like, oh, it started out as this impossible thing, but now I'm worried that it's too good to be true. It's the melody. I just feel like they go back and forth. I feel like companion pieces. Okay, okay. I didn't even think about Gold Rush when I hear Snow on the Beach. But now that you're saying that, yeah, there are some uh, mel- yeah, melody similarities. Huh, huh, neat. Yeah. But yeah. But you didn't right. like this as much as I did, so I guess it doesn't have to move on. Um, but okay, it doesn't have to move on, but we like need it. to move on. Yes, to the next song. Tis the damn season, and the first time Taylor puts a curse word. Okay, in quotes, curse word <laughs> in her title. Yeah, um, like damn is not that bad. I like this song There's a lot. Worse. Um, 
yeah, it's not. But yeah, no, I like this song a lot. It's not an instant classic for me, but I feel like for the fans, it's definitely become a like a very notable Taylor song. It's also like a really good, another really good small, like short story kind of portrait of a very relatable scenario. Uh, Tis the Damn Season takes like the idea of like, oh, well, I'm going back to visit home. Um, there's this person I know there. We have a little bit of a history. What's going to happen? Like, should I reconnect with this person? Is it a bad idea? Yeah, probably. But the road not taken looks real good right now. Like, I'm not in a great mood. It's the holidays. Like, ah, mm, should I just call this person up? Yeah, maybe I should. It really evokes, and it, and I love the specificity of um, of the suburb town, like the little suburban town that she's visiting. My my favorite bit is when she talks about parking between the Methodist and the school, the Methodist church and the school, because <laughs> I immediately think of in my hometown the row of churches including a Catholic school that was on the end of it. And so I'm just imagining that parking lot when I hear that song. And I'm just like, when I hear that verse, or I'm like, yeah, no, that's very specific to kind of a suburban town. I can absolutely relate to that. Um, and I love the tension of the chorus. Like on paper, it doesn't sound like, it sounds pretty simple. It's like, hey, I'm in town. Like, let's let's hang out. But the, the way that the production is around it, it sounds tense. It sounds like Taylor's having doubts while she's even saying it. She's like not even sure if this is a good idea. You can hear it in her voice. Um, it's which I think a it, holiday. Yeah, it's a holiday song, though. Yeah. Because yeah. she has that tension of going back to, to your hometown for the holidays and possibly being together during the holidays. Mm -hmm. uh, even the line in the chorus, and the road not taken looks real good now. Right. But it always leads to you and my hometown. Yeah, is like inevitable. She feels like there's an mm -hmm. inevitability to it. Whereas like no matter what, they're gonna end up like probably making out, like even though yeah, she's not but gonna see, like it. That goes to the previous song on mm -hmm. uh, folklore with invisible string. Right. But and I like, think it's a different well, it's than inevitable. I don't know. I don't think it's the same inevitability. It's a negative inevitability. It's like whereas invisible string is like it's almost like this cute little string was bringing us together and bringing us this true love. This is less that. And this is more like, ugh, I know myself. And I know that if I go to this guy's house, I'm just going to end up sleeping with him. That's just how it is. That's just who I am. I'm a dirtbag. That's the vibe I get from this. It's very different from Invisible String. That string oh, is no, it definitely visible. is. I'm just saying the content-wise. <laughs> that string's so visible, it's made out of ni like, like neon nylon. Like, you can see it. <laughs> like, <laughs> she knows what's happening. It's a real grimy, obvious string. Um, the last thing I will say about the, it, does, it, though, is, like, I wish the bridge was a little more interesting. Um, it's okay. I do like the line, and the so-called friends who write books about me if I ever make it. It also almost makes you think it's like, wait a minute, is um, is Dorothy the character later on this uh, in this album talking here? <laughs> it's like she get she gonna get famous and then people are gonna write about her. Like I wonder if there's like just like folklore, if there's recurring characters here in the Evermore universe, there might be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah that bridge ends with, and I'll be yours for the weekend. Mm -hmm. Is the day of season. Yeah, I like it enough. It's 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 a pretty strong for me, but it's not like amazing classic for me. I just like how like specific and relatable it is. All right. Um 
doesn't move on though? No, I don't think so. No? All right. There's other stuff on here. All right. You can only tolerate it. <laughs> yes, let's move on to tolerate it. Uh, this is one of two extremely fascinating songs on this record. And part of the reason why they are so fascinating to me is because of that unique time signature. Taylor doesn't mess with time signatures much. I think this is Aaron Dessner's mm-hmm. like influence coming in here, being like, no, let's mess with the way that like let's give some uneasiness to the very foundation of the song. And I think it parallels the uneasiness of the feeling that she's having in the lyrics. It feels queasy. Taylor can't find her footing, both like metaphorically through the music and literally in the song. It's just a brutal story of like being with somebody who's clearly just lost their feelings for you. Like they're losing, they're losing that spark that they had. And now you're just, as she wrote, as I wrote down, you're begging for footnotes and the story of their life. Like you're begging for anything. You want them to toss you scraps because they're not showing you the same love anymore. And it's almost like that character from Mirrorball, and this is my me trying, is finally considering that maybe it's not them. <laughs> they're finally like, well, maybe I'm trying, but maybe they're a jerk because they're not seeing this effort that I'm putting into this relationship. That image of being at that dinner table and being ignored. Took this dagger and me and removed it. I gained the weight of you and, lo- and I'll lose it. Basically saying like, Literally, like, I've gone through this and I've taken so much for you and you're not giving me this, like, a like a bit of respect. I love you and all you do is you tolerate it. You just, you're there sitting there with that feeling. You're not reciprocating it and you're not, like, enjoying it. No, you just tolerate it. You just sit there and just deal with me, which is not what you want a relationship to devolve into ever. Sorry, I was just sitting there letting you tolerate it. <laughs> <laughs> you gave this a C. I need you to explain yourself. Uh, it's uh, it's trying to impress somebody who will only tolerate you. Mm. I don't like the con- I think she just don't like the content. It's supposed of it. it's to be like, sad again. It's, it's a sad song. Like yeah, you if you, live if in you're that just tolerating it, then like clearly you're not like living your. Um, I'll say living your best life, but like, I mean, yes, it's not a good relationship to be in. So, yes, being the protagonist should break, it. yes, the protagonist should dump this guy. Yes, yes. it is true. But like, it is a very relatable feeling where like you feel like, and it's not even just some like a relate like a relationship feeling. This can happen with friends and family too, where you just feel like I've done so much for you, and all you do is stand there and be like, "Yeah, you're all right." I feel like, attacked. On, give me something. Yeah, and that's where this is coming from. Yeah. No, not you. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> uh, anyway. It's, anyways, yeah, that's, I mean, that's why it explains my C to it. Yeah. It's fine. Um, I you just don't like living just, in it. It's like living in it, yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's not the one I want to come back to. Sure, that's fair. Uh, what you might come back to, though, is the next song, which is just fun. Uh, Nobody No Crime is the fun Heim duet. Um, yes. And yeah. The, the true crime song. It's fun, but I think the most notable thing about it is that it exists in the pantheon of country murder revenge songs. Um, oh, it's yeah, that's that, what I have here. Is like, yes. is this country? Question mark? Yeah, it's kind of revisiting your country roots a bit, but in a in it, with a twist, with an adult kind of perspective twist, which is mm-hmm. she basically wanted to write her goodbye Earl. And this is basically what it is. And she got Haim to help her out. I think it's fun. I think it's catchy. I don't love it. 
Um, it's not one of my favorite moments on the record. It feels a little bit light compared to some of the other stuff that's happening in this era for her. But I do like that it follows in that country t- tradition. And I love that they go to Olive Garden. That's incredibly relatable. <laughs> Thank you, Taylor, for Olive Garden representation. And of course, when um, when one of the sisters says, she was with me, dude, it just makes me laugh every single time. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, there's not yeah. a whole lot to say about this song. It's very straightforward. Um I mean, yeah, it is what it is. It does what it says. It's on the tin. It's like it's it's a hey, you want to hear a story about about a cheating guy who gets his, like who gets like knocked off because these women are like united and in, in feeling that he's like a dumbass. Then, yeah, it's fun. I like the last chorus where it switches it up from they mm-hmm. think she did it, but they just can't prove it to she thinks I did it, but yeah, she just can't, just can't prove, prove it. it. Yeah, it's good. It's good manipulation, yeah. and again, and again, good storytelling, good yeah. visuals of a true crime song that obviously never happened with Taylor and Heim. No, never. This is I not mean, a confession song. It definitely did not do this. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> there's no body, there's no crime. Nobody, no crime. Yeah, I think it's fine. I don't think it moves on. It's like it's again, it's pretty light compared to a lot of the other stuff that we can talk about here. Yeah, uh, probably light in um, in terms of like breadth, but yeah, yeah, just for once, like yeah, returning the country, not since probably mean, or at least in uh, a different um, different kind of is, approach. Yeah. I would argue that Betty is also a country song. Yeah. yeah, I guess so. Like the harmonicas, it's yeah. like a folksy country song. It's, yeah, it's, this it's is like. A, like modern country. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's definitely unique. But I don't I don't know necessarily if it ha- can hang with some of these other stronger songs. Okay. So let's go on then to Happiness. Um, this song is real pretty. I like Happiness. Um, it feels like Taylor's Both Sides Now, the Joni Mitchell song, mm-hmm. uh, where she's basically realizing... She's like above it all. It literally evokes like she is literally up in the clouds. Like when she's singing this, it's like that's what it sounds like. Just it's, that's the kind of ethereal, dreamlike kind of vibe to it. And then she's just looking down and being like, "Oh yeah, well, happiness happened with this guy, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to be happy again. Like I can't tie my association with what makes me happy with one relationship because I'm going to continue living. I'm going to continue seeing things." I've literally seen happiness now from both sides is basically what she's saying. And now I realize I'm having this big picture epiphany. This song should be called epiphany. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, the, the lines I wrote down were specifically like, no, I didn't mean that. Sorry. I can't see facts through all of my fury. I like that because it sounds like she's processing in the middle of the song. It's almost like in medias res, like stream of consciousness. She says something and then she's like, no, actually I don't mean that anymore. Like, I was in the moment, I was so angry that I literally couldn't like say the right things. But now with the, you know, the benefit of hindsight and having clarity, I can really get at what I was feeling and explain it better. And yeah, also, it's a classic Taylor song about moving on. And yeah, like, even though it was a destructive, inevitable relationship, there was happiness to it. And you can be yeah. happy after it. Right. And then, yeah. And then, um, I had noted here mention of you haven't seen the new me yet, which with with which again, of course, 
the new Taylor, not the old Taylor. She's dead. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. So, so some some narrative uh, uh, through line there. And then I like that moment where you literally hear the sun kind of peek through the song. So the reason why I didn't like necessarily, I originally had this as a B and not an A. I changed it to an A today after re-listening to it was because I don't like that the bridge comes in and interrupts that feeling. The bridge feels like it's from another song almost, where it's just like, it kind of removes the momentum that the song was going for. And so it, it initially I felt like it lost some some points for that. However, it does have an amazing line, a couple of amazing lines in it. I pulled your body into mine every goddamn night. Now I get fake niceties. It's almost like she's referring to the relationship described in Tolerated. Right. Where she's saying, mm-hmm. like, I did my best. You were the one who, like, basically pretended to deal with it. Um, and this is after she's dumped him and moved on. And so good for her. Um, and then now my eyes leak acid rain on the pillow where you used to lay your head. Which means that when she was still upset about it, it was a real deep depression it was so sad as her eyes leaked acid rain my eyes don't do that (laughs) that's how brutal this was so i just i wrote those two lines down because they're so so evocative um but uh but yeah generally i like the the vibe of this song it's pretty and it's just yeah it's just so it's very descriptive of that feeling of like i finally realized that even through the worst there's always hope that it'll get better yeah, I mean, yeah, but it's also Taylor, like I said, getting over the relationship. Um, mm-hmm. The note I have here is that just the Olivia Rodrigo lyric, I hope you're happy, but <laughs> just don't be happier than me. Yeah, which I referenced earlier, yeah. Yes. So, yeah, it's def- very clear, like, clearly in that same kind of zone. Um, yeah, I, I, I like it. It doesn't have to move on. I feel like there's a couple songs coming up that will, though. Okay. So let's get to possibly one of those songs. Maybe. Depends Dorothea. on how you feel about it. Um, this song just makes me happy. I love the piano line here. It just like it's it's just, it's simple, but it works really well for me. And I wrote down a lot of lines from this. Uh but yeah, I like the character here. It, the first thought I had is like, is this the same character from the lucky one? <laughs> <laughs> Except this is narrated by like an old flame of theirs. They're like talking about like this person as like yeah, she's so famous now. I don't know if I'm ever going to see her again. But hey, like if she's ever in Tupelo, like, hey, call me up. Like, I would love to see you again. And then kind of walking through their memories together, skipping the prom to piss off your mom and her pageant schemes. And then, of course, the immortal, are you the same soul I met under the bleachers? Which I wrote after after that. Ooh, steamy. (laughs) (laughs) It's like wonders what kind of relationship did the narrator have with Dorothy? It sounds like they met under the bleachers. You know what? Nothing uh, like only untoward things happen under bleachers. Like you're never meeting somebody under the bleachers to just hang out. No, you're like, you're going to town under some bleachers. Um, So yeah, there's a lot of questions. I think of what is the relationship between Dorothy and this narrator. And I like how, like how, how like the little story that, that, that like describes what's like that this person's feeling and just, if you're ever around, just like, hey, hit me up and maybe we can hang out again and maybe have a tis the damn season situation. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say that, that Dorothea is referenced from tis the damn season mm-hmm. about coming back to your hometown, even if it is uh, uh, Tupelo. 
<laughs> Tupelo. Tupelo. Shout out to Tupelo. Um, yeah, I just, I think the song is fairly simple, but I think that the vibe of it does a lot of work for me and really makes it one of my favorites. Uh, it's a fine song for me. <laughs> I mean, it's better than uh, her basic songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do like the imagery, especially going back to your hometown. And then like, do you ever think of me? But that's yeah. also a theme that's running throughout Evermore right. is like, I did things. You knew me then, but do you still think of me? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's interesting because Folklore is the late summer time mm-hmm. is like disappearing album and evermore is the it's december it's almost christmas time and i'm having an existential crisis in my hometown album it's not that's just that it's the oh god where did the year go yeah. what did i do this year <laughs> yeah so yeah and then dorothy is just like furthering that kind of theme yeah um yeah now think about it like i don't know if it moves on but it's definitely like i have fun with that okay also not moving on <laughs> oh yes uh the melancholy nonsense that is coney island <laughs> that is the perfect sewers to describe this song <laughs> that's so, yeah. all i have this is melancholy nonsense <laughs> yeah taylor gets the national guy uh to sing on this one and if you know the national you'll recognize this dude's voice uh very low very monotone um it sounds interesting uh juxtaposed against taylor's i think they sound okay together but yeah you're right it's kind of goofy i have literally here lyrics are kind of goofy i'm not really sure um what an arcade ring is and how you win it um <laughs> i have a lot of questions i think about the world and what's happening on coney island i've never been to coney island uh, uh even the um was it malibu right? <laughs> yeah yeah. Um uh, loop here or was it that... um yeah, there's some similar stuff out here for sure. But like I get the vibe of what they're trying to say. Like I get the idea. But yeah, the lyrics are just a little goofy for me. Uh the national is not necessarily a band that I love, and this just basically sounds like a national song that Taylor's on. And so it doesn't do a whole lot for me. It's fine. It's like the definition of a C. I mean, it does reference the mall though. Yeah. But is it the same mall? I don't know. No, no, it's definitely not the same mall because they're talking about the arcade ring. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. Um, There's just not a whole lot to say about it. Okay. So let's get to a song we actually want to talk about then. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, goddamn. (laughs) It's Ivy. Yeah, Ivy uh, is just great. It's such a fun chorus. Even before you get to the great bridge which we'll talk about it's mm-hmm. such a fun chorus and it's been promised to another it's just like it just it's so fun it just it's a little bouncy kind of feeling but at the same time like when you actually listen to the lyrics it's like oh yeah this is a fun song but also what is happening here like basically this is illicit affair happening in real time she's talking about like yeah i want to see you my boyfriend might burn the house to the ground or husband yeah husband i think in this story um, but like it might be worth it <laughs> it's basically what she's saying because that's how important they are together literally her his ivy is growing all over her life like basically he has like taken over her thoughts and like it's become a very strong connection however she already made this like she's married 
she has a promise to another. What will she do? But then, yes, it's another two bridge special. Uh, but the second one, of course, is the killer one, as you referenced. It's a goddamn blaze in the dark, and you started it. Now she's blaming the guy. She's like, yeah, this is your fault that you got me involved in this illicit affair. You set me up for failure. Now I'm stuck on you, and now my boyfriend's probably going to kill us, or husband's going to kill us all. Yeah, so I think if you rewind an hour from now, or from <laughs> here, um, where we talk about illicit affairs, yeah. and I mentioned that it's like she's talking about, oh, maybe this is happening in her head. No, it's Ivy. Ivy's the one that's happening in her head. I think both are, but still. Um, it's yeah, it's it's almost like the B side where it's like, oh, this is this is the more detailed emotional take mm-hmm. on what was happening in illicit affairs. Uh if you combined the two songs, I think that would be maybe one of the best songs she's ever written. <laughs> <laughs> but alas, here we are. We have both kind of takes on the same kind of concept. And I appreciate both of them for different reasons. But yeah, I think this one definitely moves on. If just because of that, just, uh, just, yeah. like That chorus. That, that the bridge. The chorus and, the, and everything. All of it. It's just, yep. it's wonderful. Oh, I'm with you right there. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's definitely a really, really good, fun song. Yeah. 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 Then we move on to Cowboy Like Me. Um it's fun. It's kind of fun. Um, I like some of this song. I wrote down a couple of lines that I liked, but and it generally does a j- good job of like evoking like a dusty bar, like or like a saloon. You can picture Taylor kind of sitting in the corner and just kind of watching everybody and everybody's watching her kind of thing. Um, I really like the lines like the skeletons in both our closets plotted hard to fuck this up. It's good. I like I like the visual. And of course, now you hang from my lips like the gardens of Babylon. One of my favorite lines on the record. But as a song, I feel like it just meanders a bit too much for me. It's slow and kind of doesn't do a whole lot, especially that bridge where that line comes from. It's even slower and it kind of shows up after you think that the song is over. And it's like, oh, we're still doing this. And so every time I listen to it, I'm just like, yeah, this is this is fine, but I don't I don't love it. It's this one's fine. I do like the guitar pre uh pre-bridge. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a nice acoustic solo. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, like I like this. And then it goes, and then there's an actual bridge later in the song yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's also just the highlight for me on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree. I think that that acoustic little little pick and solo is really good. But then, yeah, mm-hmm. beyond that, I feel like it maybe I don't know. It just it's, it's maybe this should have been a bonus track, Taylor. Uh, it seems like she was trying to combine like the country, genre, mm-hmm. like the country kind of staples of like um, the boots beneath my bed, uh, yeah. forever, forever the sweetest uh, corn or con. <laughs> forever the sweetest corn. That's what I thought she said. <laughs> Forever is the sweetest corn. That's just true. Taylor. Yeah. That's just true. All right. Well, that one doesn't move on, so we can okay. move on. All right. So long story short. Um, <laughs> long story I, short. Long story short. Um, yep. I like long story short. Long story not that short. <laughs> it's cute. It's a cute song. Um, it's one of those that feels like like a lover reject. This easily could have been with slightly different production on a lover. Um, it's a fun bop. 
um, in an era where there's not a whole lot of bops. Um, I really like no more keeping score. Now I just keep you warm. That's cute. And of course, your nemeses will defeat themselves before you even get a chance to swing, which did prove itself true. Um, yeah, where Taylor realized like, oh, all my enemies are screwing up their own careers. I didn't have to do anything. Yeah, it's also about like just having like a little safe place, a place to keep me warm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and ever and oh, hey, we have the album title Evermore. Yes, Evermore's in, in there. This. Yeah, I have it as a B because it's like a nice, genial, like fun song, but it doesn't do it a whole lot like special or like unique on the record, which is why it kind of reminds me of stuff that would have been on Lover or 1989 more than it does in the folklore Evermore kind of stuff. Yes, but also that there's other songs where she went harder into that mm. theme of love and loving and keeping warm and keeping safe. Yeah. I like agree. you said, especially in Lover. Yes. Not the song, but like the Archer too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it doesn't yeah. need to move on. It's like fine, but right. nothing too special. Okay. So let's then move on to uh, Marjorie. I love Marjorie. Uh, I it, knew you would. It is an incredibly touching uh, like ode to her grandmother. And I think that it's it's sad, but it's a good sad, if that makes any sense. It's not depressing. It's just like, oh, she's clearly grieving for this person. But also, she's like fascinated by them. Like, and Marjorie seems like a fascinating woman, like an opera singer. Like that. And the greatest part about that is she uses actual recordings of her opera performances in the background of this song. It's oh, really? Incredible. Yes, that's her. That's Marjorie um, in the song. And it's amazing that Taylor did that. It's like such a great homage to this person she clearly looks up to and uses as this like, you know, this like example of how to how to be like uh, the person she aspires to be. It's just, yeah, what died didn't stay dead. And that whole like thing also, like the idea mm-hmm. of the feeling of someone's impact beyond their death, beyond the grave. Like she even says in the song, like she doesn't believe in ghosts, but it's hard to argue when she feels Marjorie's presence around her and in her life. She doesn't even remember her that much. I mean, she died, like the, the story is, is that Marjorie died when she was 13. But to Taylor, that still was enough, just enough time to make a little bit of an impact on our life that makes her yearn for what if there was more. Um, yeah, and that's just what I ha- the one line that I have here is just, it's a legacy song. Yeah, talking yeah. about legacy, talking about what died didn't say dead, like being still remembered, still thought of long past your life here. It's the tailor of Long Live coming back for a yes. moment. The tailor that's thinking about what's the impact that she's going to leave? What was the impact that my own grandmother left? And I sh- like an aspiring, again, aspiring to be her, like to like wanting to be that kind of person and make that kind of positive impact on life. So. Uh, yeah, it's a good song, but for me, and the reason I don't rate it as high as you, mm-hmm. is that the melody itself isn't that memorable? Hmm. The lyrics are good, but the melody yeah. isn't. I don't know. I I, I I don't like it. It does enough for me, but yeah, I could I could understand the the argument. Um. So well, I guess if it doesn't move on, then we can head on over to the last couple songs on Evermore. All right, we have closure, 
Yeah, closure. Um, I like closure uh, more than I, I I did initially. I think initially I was like, oh, that's kind of a weird ass song, but it's grown on me every time I listen to it. It's another weird time signature, making two for the record. And then uh, the second thing about it is that those weird electronic blips and bloops in the background. And again, the vocal manipulation on Taylor's voice. I have written down that it almost feels like a robot trying to write a Taylor song. <laughs> but that might actually be the point because that's also the 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 subject of the song is like the 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 complicated feeling of wanting or needing closure and not getting it like feeling like oh well yeah it's a good thing in theory like i would love to have it but, but i don't know if it's ever going to happen like it's just unrealistic it's like not like closure doesn't have to exist and even the the wonky time signature even reflects that is like this is not a closure that feels comfortable this is a closure that feels off kilter doesn't feel right it doesn't sit well with taylor and the sound sounds like that which is i think important to its point and yeah and then of course i wrote down i'm fine with my spite and my tears and my beers and my candles because (laughs) girl me too Yeah, I think there's one that will continue to grow on me the more I listen to it, mm-hmm. especially in the chorus. But um, I do like that time signature. But that beginning, the instrumental kind of clutter in the beginning. Mm-hmm. The pots and pans, yeah. Yes. It's, <laughs> it's pots and pans. It's clutter. It's kind right. of like, I mean, what the song is, getting out of a messy relationship and trying to find that closure right right. yes you're doing better but you're still trying to sort out the mess that was at the beginning Mm -hmm. or what you just went through i think it's the best use on the record of the more like experimental version of aaron destner's production Mm -hmm. uh because it like allows taylor to do something completely different than anything else and it sounds like nothing else because of it and yeah, I, I think I wrote a tweet before Midnight's came out. I was like, I hope every song on Midnight's just sounds like closure. <laughs> it didn't, but it should have. All right. And then <laughs> last, so that probably doesn't move on. But lastly on Evermore is, hey, Evermore. Hey, Evermore. You know, I guess, the title track. I guess Taylor didn't learn anything from the first record because she again ends the record here with kind of an anti-climax. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a meditative kind of piano ballad. Yeah. Going back and forth with uh, was it Bonnie Bear again. Yeah, and I kind of like it a little bit more than Exile, but the thing that's weird about this song is it definitely sounds like that the Bonnie Bear song is from a different song. Or the verse that he sings is from a different song. The tempo changes. He's in a different key. It's like, wait a minute. Did he just record something and send it over and be like, here you go? And Taylor was like, I guess I can make this work. <laughs> That's the vibe I get. It just seems like it's two songs smooshed together just because she wanted Boney Vera again. Um, it doesn't do much for me, but the back and forth duet near the end does have its moments. I do like, and I do like the line writing, writing letters addressed to the fire. I mean, it's, uh, I'm, it's weird to, to like try to like compare this with Exile because it is, does have yeah. Bonnie Vera on it. And be like, is this a companion piece to it because they are on it, or is it just, hey, we had Body Bear, might as well put a couple songs in there. We'll pick the best one, mm-hmm. and here is the second best one. Yeah. So it's 
fine. I do <laughs> like that if they do kind of have that back and forth again um, towards the end in the bridge, especially. Mm-hmm. But it's, uh, yeah, yeah, another kind of like, when is she going to learn to write a good closing song? <laughs> just wait. It's coming up on the next record. <laughs> oh, I know. That's just a setup for it. Yeah. Which is. <laughs> yes, that, that will so, be a better song to close. So that moves us on from Evermore. So we moving on from Evermore is Champagne Problems and Ivy. So and I'd say that sounds about right. Sounds about right. And then now we move into last October's Midnights, which was, I think, a good synthesis. Taylor basically taking, hey, the songwriting and structure and vibe of Folklore and Evermore combined with the pop sensibilities of 1989 and Lover. And boom, you have Midnight's. Um, I really like Midnight's. Um, It's still, I mean, recency bias might rear its head here, but I do like most of the songs on this record. Yep, I was just about to say, here comes recency bias because... Like you said, this was in October, and as we reported on the podcast, ten top ten, okay. all ten songs charted. Sorry, all thirteen songs charted, but the first top ten uh, all took the top ten slots. Yeah, so let's talk about some of these chart toppers, starting at the top with Lavender Haze, and then uh, oh yeah, uh, the first pop song again. Yeah, uh, especially coming off of both a folklore and Evermore, you did kind of have that kind of well. Will Taylor ever get back to like that pop sound that she was, or is she just now in like um, folksy uh, singer songwriter mode? And that's the thing is, I feel like Lavender Hayes answers that question with a resounding yes and no, <laughs> because I think yes, the songs on Midnight's are pop songs by all intents and purposes. But they're not pop songs like Lover pop songs. They're not even 1989 pop songs, nor mm-hmm. are they reputation pop songs. They're pop songs that really l- l- sit and like sit with the vibes and sit with feelings. And they're they're not like bangers. I would do I don't think you call any of these bangers. Some of them are bops, but they're not like they don't hit you over the head with things. They really like enjoy and luxuriate in the feelings similar to the way the songs on folklore and evermore do and i think you get that right from the top with lavender haze i really like this as an opening song for this record it's table setting but it's also at the same time like still has those layers in the production like songs on folklore do and i really like the drum break that happens like that phil collins ass drum break that happens several times in this in this song and of course, always the type A, uh, she has to get things off her disc. <laughs> I, I like the um, pre-course before it. Yeah. Uh, the uh, I'm finding it dizzying. They're bringing up my history, but you yeah. weren't even listening. Yeah. Yeah. Lyrically, it's revisiting some of the stuff from um from um from peace uh and some of the like mm-hmm. talking about the relationship she has with joe would be like kind of like oh well it's fine i can come to you actually in a way it's revisiting some of uh reputation where she's talking about like having a relationship where she can rely on him to be someone to confide in that doesn't care about everybody out there he doesn't care about her reputation as she mentioned uh on those songs and here it's elab- like this it's it's cl- clarified that even still He's like not even paying attention to that stuff, which is why he loves why she loves him so much. 
Yeah, even though like uh, the in the bridge, uh, just need this love spiral to get it yeah. off your chest, get it off my desk. Yeah, like it's like as long she, as yeah, she confides in the love because it's an escape from the rest of it. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Lavender is all right. I think it probably moves on. It's not the strongest song on the record. We'll get there, but like Doesn't, it's definitely good. Yep, but you know a lot of these are really good, including yeah. Maroon. And hello, colors. Yes, yeah, so the colors are back, but also so is the storytelling. I have it here yes. that I've written down that is this is the closest we get to the evermore folklore style of detailed writing. It's not that there isn't detailed writing on this record, it's just less of it. And maroon is where most of it is happening. Uh, I like a lot of the lines here. Carnations you had thought were roses, that's us. Basically saying like the relationship between her and this person that she is drinking wine on the floor with is it's it's complicated because he doesn't see things the way that she does and it leads to this difference in literally they identify colors differently is kind of the the thesis of the song and why it's called maroon it's like she sees it very clearly as like no this is this is the color it is in my mind but to him it's like you thought those carnations were roses we're not even on the same page like there's something happening here that's different however there's still an impact made on her in fact a legacy, <laughs> a real fucking legacy, according to Taylor, uh, that's been left on her because of this interaction. I also really like, even though Maroon is the title, there's different shades of red in here, especially yeah. in the chorus. The burgundy on my t-shirt, mm-hmm. you splashed your wine on me, and the blood rushed to my cheeks. It was scarlet. It was mm-hmm. maroon. Yeah, it's it's revisiting kind of that, that approach she takes in red, which is it's not mm-hmm. necessarily the exact color. It's the feeling that color represents. To her, maroon is the vibe of that relationship, regardless of all the other colors that were involved or the details that were involved in it. Yeah, um, or as when we talk about red, it's very passion. It's very right. love. It's very bold. Maroon is what a relationship is. It's not all black and white, kind of one color mm-hmm. or not. It's this multitude mix of colors that forms yeah. it and then it's, it's interesting that you men, me, uh, say mix because i also wanted to point out that those layered harmonies on the chorus as it builds mm-hmm. just it becomes more and more layered as it goes on and it does feel like the same kind of like metaphor of putting colors on top of each other until they blend but in sonic form and i think that's a really neat like another neat like, little thing to put in there um, I don't know. Yeah, sure. Let's move it on for now. Yeah. Uh, but there might be some other stuff that might boot it later. Like I said, we might have some recency bias here. Yeah, a little bit. All right. So let's go into uh, the probably the, one of the more popular songs on this album. <laughs> yeah. Antihero. Yeah, I have it written down here. Immediately iconic. Uh, as soon as she put this thing out as a single, everybody was like, well, one... This is easily the best single she's put out in years. And two, <laughs> Taylor's notably usually bad at choosing singles from her records. Not so here. Uh, Antihero is a jam. Um, but it's a jam, but that also has some of the strangest lyrics she's ever written in a song. Um, though, though, yeah, the it's me high bit, there's a reason why it's become a meme. is because it's great, it's relatable, it's quotable. And it's just so it's just it's a, such a cute, funny moment for her. Um, the structure of it as a pop song reminds me a bit of Blank Space, but again, mm-hmm. a Blank Space that really luxuriates in its time. But then, yeah, the lyrics are where it gets wild. 
it's uh, nice to see Taylor kind of halfway, like with one foot in that vulnerable Taylor mode, because this is ultimately her imposter syndrome coming back. It's basically her writing about like, yeah, I'm not that great. Like I have some issues. Um, I often think of myself as like lower because I can't like identify like with other people, what the, like others praise. I just don't believe it. Like I am the anti-hero. Don't like, don't look at me for like guidance. And then of course I wrote down the, sometimes I feel like everybody is a sexy baby line because of <laughs> course it's ridiculous. I get what she means by it, but still it's baffling that that isn't the number one hit. <laughs> and yeah, then, I have a, a sexy baby imposter syndrome. Yeah. And then the biggest self-own on the song. Did you hear my covert narcissism? I disguise as altruism like some kind of congressman. A tale as old as time. It's great. It's 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 like full of words. It's like crammed into each other. But ultimately, it's like I said, it's a self-own. It's like Taylor being like, yeah, even when I'm like out there saying like, oh, I do such good. Like I'm like, you know advocating for voting rights or advocating for women's rights like she even doubts herself when she does that stuff that could be seen objectively as good things for the community and like as a role model she's even in her head about that and being like no i'm just as bad as like some congressman some politician that's spouting words that they don't even believe in it's a fascinating subject for a number one billboard hit like, the fact that Antihero exists and is as big as it is, is so wild to me because of how wild it is as a song, which I think is why it's not an S tier for me. It's an A. It's a great song that's just, wow, just baffling in content. So here's where it goes from the A to the S. It's partial rap, Taylor. It's the lyrical <laughs> gymnastics that she yes. puts in here. It's working the words, being a wordsmith, and not just writing the poetry that she's been doing with both Folklore and Evermore, but combining it with that pop sensation from 1989 and Lover. Also, yeah. the way that uh, the bridge hits, um, where she's laughing straight at, up at us from hell, once again, <laughs> funeral uh, yes. scenes and dead Taylor mentions. Yeah. And then it goes into a breakdown and where everything cuts out before bringing it back in with the chorus. Yeah. It's a neat song. It's a fascinating song. It's got so much happening in it. And I mm -hmm. cannot believe it was it, it was a number one as long as it is. And it will it's always a, be. <laughs> an anti-hero. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a combined. Uh, for me, it's a synthesis combination of what she's built upon up till now. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So let's move it on. Right. And then move on to something else. Yes, let's bring in, maybe or maybe not actually here, Lana Del Rey in <laughs> Snow on the Beach. She's in there. I have written down here, where's Lana? Buried in the mix. Um, she's in there. <laughs> she's doing the harmonies here on this song. Also, she's very clearly there in the songwriting. I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but yeah, generally, I like the song. It's a really pretty arrangement. Um, I like the line, life is emotionally abusive. I'm like, so, so true, girl. <laughs> that I have, yeah, it's a beautiful story. I love the metaphor of someone, like I mentioned before, um, someone so bewildered that their love is actually happening. Like somebody, like that feeling when you're kind of new in a relationship and you're like, wait, this person wants to hang out with me? It's an incredibly relatable situation. It is like snow at the beach. It feels like a miracle. It feels like something that's like you never would have seen coming that 
I mean, of course, it's very funny that we had snow here in Southern California um, this year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Taylor knew that was going to happen. Um, and so it kind of came true. Uh, but yeah, and then, of course, the most Lana thing that happens in the song is now I'm all for you like Janet. <laughs> Taylor didn't. I refuse to believe that Taylor wrote that line. Absolutely not. That's got Lana written all over it. Um, yeah, I think the song just gets an A for me out of pure just beauty. It just sounds so great. Um, the lyrics are all right. They're just not as good as the, the, the production. I think the production really just homers this one. And yes, this is all about that production. This is yeah. all about um, the evocative uh, imagery like snow on the beach. Yeah. Weird, but fucking beautiful. Yeah. Also, this yes, is... earning that explicit <laughs> yeah. on this song. Is Jack Antonoff's A game here is, yes. is basically what it is. It's like, this is the thing that he's really good at. Uh... So I don't know if I'm, it's tough. I mean, it, I guess it moves on just on sheer strength of rating here. But like, we're going to have to, it's going to be tough to choose between these midnight songs. It will be. But yeah, I mean, we can move it on. But yeah, I don't, yeah. it might be. Uh, Last one in, first one out. Situation. Yeah, it might be. Because we got to give it to a very personal Taylor song. Yes. Uh, You're on your own, kid. This is my favorite on the record. I will say that right here. I think that this is an instant classic for me. I don't know if the fans agree, but for me personally, I think it's really good because of what you're saying. It's a personal Taylor story that sounds almost like a recap of her career in a weird way. It's... Like it's Taylor's. I wrote down it's Taylor's supercut. Supercut the song off Lord's Melodrama, because um, in a similar way, it's a like it's like her looking back at like several things that happened in her life and how that's affected her today. Um, and it's a good example of like Taylor's just perseverance that nothing stopped her that she's kept going even when she feels like she's on her own and that she doesn't have a support system. And at the end, I like how she twists it to be you no know, like about. No, it's not just about me. This is about anybody who feels like this. This is about like about having the hope that it does like you'll make it that even if you feel like you're on your own out there just by yourself, that you have hope that you're going to that you're going to get through it because I did. And yeah, it's and the greatest thing is, again, that construction, it feels like a rising roller coaster. It's 80 percent chorus. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like like the end of it i ser- like and and the lo- some of the lines i wrote down i searched the party of better bodies just to learn that my dreams aren't rare i'm like oh been there girl like all of us have been in that situation where you're like you get really excited because like you want to perform or you want to you know you want to be like the best writer or you want to be the best thing and then you realize oh but there's so many other people with the same exact dream like me that are knocking out of the park how am i ever going to do that and to hear that Taylor Swift, of all people, had that thought when she moved to Nashville and realized that she wasn't the only, like, 17-year-old girl who wanted to break into the business. Like, if she had that feeling, then that gives me hope that somebody else could have that feeling. Like, and and it works out in the end, even though you doubt it will. And, of course, that climax where it just builds and builds and builds. And then, yeah, yeah, you can face this. Taylor telling that other 17-year-old girl and being like, no, you can do this too. You can face this, kid. You're on your own. And then that last bit of you're on your own, kid, you always have been, flips mm-hmm. it from being a negative to a positive. 
It owns it. It gives it power. It's like, no, it sounds like a bad thing, but trust me, it's a good thing you're on your own because you can do so much. If Taylor believes in you, and that's saying a lot. And then, yeah, that, that's why I think the song just, ugh, it just works so well for me. It's funny that you mentioned that flip at the end because she mm-hmm. flips several times in the song itself, yeah. Yeah. especially in one of the verses. Um, uh, I picked the pedals. He loves me not. Mm-hmm. Something different bloomed in my writing room. Right. Where she, it's her talking to herself of like, yeah, you're going to have heartbreaks. He's not going to love you, but you're going to turn that into your writing. And that's what she does talking to herself in her first several songs, uh, her first album, essentially uh, back in Taylor Swift. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. And like I said, yeah, it's almost like a recap. She goes through almost every era uh, Mm -hmm. kind of talking about like the harsh hardship she had to get through. And yeah, that's why I think it's like an icon, immediately iconic Taylor song for me. It's just, it's the most Taylor song I think on the record. Yeah, I don't know if it's an iconic song in terms of like in terms of like it being a hit, yeah, but it but... is the most Taylor song Taylor's <laughs> ever written about Taylor Swift. Well, maybe not. We'll get there later. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we got to we got to cruise through this. We're running out oh, of yeah. time. Here. We're already at two hours here. Yeah. And we got to get through this, so let's go through some of these real quick. Midnight rain. Yeah. This one, uh, we'll probably spend less time on it because it's less it's less classic, less immediately iconic. I do like it all right. Um, I've written down that the slowed down Taylor voice sounds a little weird, but it does make the song compelling. It like pulls you in. It's like, oh, what's going on here in this song? And the rest of the song is like, a, like really vibey. I like that the background sounds are constantly feel like it's like feels like a lava lamp if a lava lamp was music it's like constantly shifting and like floating and like and like those like synths are constantly doing things and burping and belching but the actual song for me is not super memorable uh which is kind of what brings it down yeah the intro production the yeah the, the production and the intro is very memorable yeah but then right after that yeah and yeah, um, it, it, I have it's a good pop synth sounds. Yeah. But yeah, I'm not sure if the writing is there with it. It's not that there's bad lyrics in it. I think there are some memorable images. I like the, the image of her looking out of her window at midnight while it's raining and kind of just thinking about this relationship. Like I like that visual. Like I think it's strong. Uh but yeah, it's not as memorable. It doesn't have a moment that just pops into my head in it lyrically like a lot of the other songs do. You want to know why? There's no power bridge. And yeah, that the, the yeah, it's it's kind of <laughs> yeah, the bridge doesn't do a whole lot. It's just kind of like da, 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 da. yeah, it's like it's fine, it's okay, but it's a, it's not one of the highlights. That's for sure. Okay, so we can move on then. And can I ask you a question? <laughs> I think Taylor is. Uh, yes, with Taylor, question, ask us away with question dot 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 question mark. Um, yeah, this song, uh, I like it a lot, but it's not, it's not my, one of my favorites on the record, but yeah, it's, it's pretty fun. It's the first time that the record seems to like let its hair down. It's like kind of a bop. Also, it it maybe references Betty or like a similar situation to Betty about like this story about like a character, uh, being surrounded by friend, like by their friends and kind of being embarrassed by it. And like, which reminds me a lot of that situation. Um, 
I have written down the bit about fucking politics and gender roles, <laughs> which is fun. And I really do love the bridge, not necessarily because of the lyrics in it, but the sound, the, the way she stretches the vowels on the sound. And that's what's suitable and right, but tonight, with that like cool auto tone effect mm-hmm. that she puts on it. It's really cool. It's a really cool sounding song, and it does really bop. It's like, question. It's really fun. It's a really fun song. And I like the little crowd noise later, uh, later in the uh, near the end. It's all... in the in the crowded room when you got the crowd. Yeah, yeah. It's like they're like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> little bits and pieces of fun production, I think, really save it um because like structurally it's not too exciting but i do think that as a completed part like a completed piece it's a really fun song i I think it's just a bop just a really good bop it's good synth it's good pop production i like that breakdown that like you mentioned especially in the bridge Mm -hmm. and then it just like it goes like you said from to and right but tonight can I ask you a question? And it just hits that high as it goes right to the end there. Also, I didn't write it down, but I just remember the uh, the the line of the bridge about like it's never it was something around all the lines of like it's never as great like after that meteor strike, which is really good. It's just like you have been in a situation like kiss somebody in, 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 at, at a dance and been like, well, it's never going to get better from here. Like this is it. <laughs> I peaked. <laughs> <laughs> It's cool. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a fun song. Uh, maybe my S is a little bit too generous. <laughs> nah, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, let's let's move it on. But I don't know. Yeah, like it, for me, yeah. it's definitely not as strong as some of the other ones on here. All right. Um, so let's then move on then into yes. the vigilante shit. Yeah. You know what? I'm gonna in real time change this to a C. I actually do not think that this is a D song. I was a little harsh on it when I first reviewed it here. However, it's definitely the weakest song on the record. It's like, it's, I get what she's trying to do with vigilante shit. And like, I get where it comes from. It's like a song from Reputation escaped and ended up on Midnight somehow. Um, I don't hate it. It's definitely a, a more interesting than a lot of the same kind of similar songs that are happening on Reputation. Um, it's got some memorable lines. I don't know how your cat eyes will kill a man, Taylor, but I believe it somehow. <laughs> yeah, I have a it's, uh, reputation, Taylor, but yeah. better. Yeah, you're you're not wrong. Um, it's a strange song. It's not awful. I think the thing that saves it for me a little bit is that it's. Re- I have written down it's revenge cosplay against Scooter Braun. Mm-hmm. Uh, where it specific takes a very real thing that he's dealing with in real life. He is being investigated by the FBI and he did just uh, divorce his wife. And so it's taking those two things, those little grains of truth and dramat- dramat- like dramatizing them. And Taylor runs with it. And I know she's having fun with it, uh, which I think makes me appreciate it a little bit more. Uh, also but- like the pendulum bridge mm-hmm. as he gets in there. Uh, ladies always rise yeah. up above. Ladies all, ladies know what people want. Yeah, it's a neat moment, 
Um, I just don't love it. I think the reason why I don't like it that much is because of in contrast to the rest of the record. It does kind of stick out a little bit it for me. It does, yes. Thematically. And that means that whenever I come to it, I have that urge to skip because I'm like, I just don't. It's not a vibe I want right now if I'm between Question and Bejeweled. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think it moves on, but it's it's interesting. It's definitely, uh, yeah, it's an interesting song, interesting choice. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, let's go then to Bejeweled. Yeah. Bejeweled and, is yeah, fun. It's a, it's a jealousy song. Bejeweled is fun, if a little light. Um, I like the beat. I really like that it's kind of back to Taylor's, like, um, walking down the runway vibe uh, that she's visited a handful of times. Mm-hmm. It's very, like, like consistent, and I like that about it. Also, thanks to TikTok, the nice sound clip will forever be in my head whenever somebody says nice now. <laughs> nice. It's cute. Um Although, the thing that Taylor, uh, the thing that bugs me the most about the song, Taylor, you're probably, you shouldn't be allowed to say reclaim the land. I'm sorry. Just maybe don't say that. Don't write that in a song. That's not yours. Anyway. uh, But I think that besides that weird speed bump in the song, it is fun. And I do like the a diamond's gotta shine at the very end. It's very cute. It's kind of like a little triumphant moment. And ultimately, it's a fun pop song that could have been on 1989. It's got 1989 vibes. It does, but it also doesn't have like the hit 1989 vibes for me. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, it's uh, I hear uh, it's shining like a mirror ball. Yeah, uh, yeah. going back to folklore there, uh, but in a very like fun pop song, unlike mm-hmm. Mirrorball. Yeah, uh, it's, it's fine. It's, it's fine. You know, you're trying to make the ex jealous, trying to shine, trying to shimmer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She makes the whole whole room shimmer. Whole place? Yes, whole, the whole place shimmer. Yeah. You're interested. It's interesting that you brought up Mirrorball because it's like almost like if the character of Mirrorball actually did have confidence in herself. Yeah. <laughs> she would be the character <laughs> in Bejeweled. And also, it just makes me think of the video game every time I think Bejeweled. Of Bejeweled. <laughs> yeah, I love Bejeweled. All right. So Bejeweled doesn't move on. Okay. The, so the then, TikTok dance for Bejeweled, though, that moves on. All right. So <laughs> then what about uh, Labyrinth? Labyrinth is fascinating to me. I go back and forth about Labyrinth practically every time I listen to it. Um, I love the background that she kept kind of the demo, basically, of her and Jack, like, thinking of sounds that they were going to use. And she liked them so much that she kept them. I really like that. That's my favorite thing I think about Labyrinth is it's she keeps that Jack's voice in the background doing the drum sounds like uh, uh, it's cute. It it brings you into that room with them. It makes you think that you're sitting with them while they're writing the song. Um, I like that part of it probably more than the rest of it, though. It's a fine song. Um, I like the bit where she says that she's scared of elevators. That's a little fun Taylor fact. I was like, oh, I didn't know that about you. Um, and it's a nice portrait of someone that's afraid of falling in love, but is about to be like safe, like caught by that person. Like she's a little t- timid about it. She's like thinking about like, oh, I don't know. Like this has worked. This is stuff like this has not worked out for me traditionally. I feel like I'm going to get trapped like this. If this goes bad, it's going to be bad for both of us. But then she falls anyways. And then he's there to catch her. Is it basically the the, the narrative here? But the, the, just the by itself, uh-oh, I'm falling in love. 
like, oh, oh, uh oh, this is bad. Like, this is only going to end badly, but only to find out that actually, actually, maybe it won't. Actually, maybe this will be okay. Oh, yeah. And um, I I really like the layered production. And then last thing I noted is the the slow down Taylor voice from Midnight Rain returns. Uh, the production's fine on this for me. I, by the time it gets to the end, it just repeats kind of the same thing over it and does. over again. You're right. I, it's it tires me out. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. It it's, does do that a little bit. It's very safe pop for me in that it's it's got your safe chorus, your safe lyrics. There's no real like bridge to it. It's kind of a quick song. Yeah. Yeah, which I uh, like. It's it's prepares yeah. you for the end of the record uh, in a, in a good way, I think. But um, but yeah, I could understand that the repetitive nature of the outro was kind of like, all right, we've been here, we've been here for a while. Mm-hmm. Let's move on, kind of thing. Yeah. So uh, and, yeah, on. we've been here for a while. So let's continue <laughs> on then. Yeah, that one doesn't move on. Um, let's move on to one of my favorites, Karma. So is Karma a god? Is Karma the breeze on your hair? No. Is karma a relaxing thought? Karma is all of those things. None of those things at the same time. <laughs> the thing I love the most about it is one, it's just, well, I guess the two things I love the most about it. One, it's just so much fun. Just like Bejeweled, but better. Like, it, like who knew, like, this Taylor could also write a summer jam. Like, like how, like a song this breezy is also about revenge. But it's like a nice revenge song. It's the only revenge song she's written that sounds like also it's like you're on you're on the beach in the summer and you're like strutting around like being like, yeah, yeah, I did that. Like I did so well. Like they're not even going to think of, like they're going to think of me all the time. Like you can't get me off of my mind because I'm so good. Like I'm so good at what I do. It's like a really cool feeling. Like the idea of having the concept of karma as an entity that has befriended you is so fascinating to me. Um, the lines I wrote down, I wrote down a handful here. I keep my side of the street clean. You wouldn't know what I mean. And again, calling out like Scooter Braun for like having a messy personal life. And she's meanwhile over here being like, people don't even know about my personal life. That's how clean my side of the street is. Like I keep it locked down. You're all over the news. Like you need to get your shit together basically, which is great. And yes, I love the cat purring in her lap because it loves her. I know people think it's cheesy. I love cheesy Taylor. We've established this on this podcast. And this is ultimate cheesy Taylor for me. Just like she's owning it. She's like, yeah, no, I like cats. And Karma is a cat and it's purring. It loves me. And then the interesting thing, though, that it does at the end, though, is it has like it has like a little bit fun with the structure of the verse at the end there. The bit where she talks about karma takes all my friends to the summit. Like it goes back and forth. And then it has a moment of unsure. Like she has a little bit of a moment where she's unsure about it again. Where the whole song is ultimately saying that karma's on her side. But then she's like, yeah, it takes all my friends to the summit. But also it's scary and it haunts me. There's that one moment of vulnerability before it goes back into the chorus. The celebratory chorus. Where you see for a moment... Oh, actually, Taylor's been thinking about this back and forth probably for a very long time. I think she sat, sits with the idea of karma uncomfortably. And that's why she wrote the song, which was, no, I want to own it. I want to believe that this is good. I want to believe that this is real. And I want to believe that I have it and he wants it and he's never going to get it. 
It's a yeah. I mean, she goes back and forth with the karma. I was going to mm-hmm. say that didn't she name her production company after her cat or cat thing? Yes, yes. So I think that's where the karma is a cat coming from. Karma yeah. is the cat of her owning her own production company. Like it can be literal, but also metaphorical. It's like, yeah, it's interesting. Like how she's like, it's all about the ownership. It's all about like taking ownership and the things that she's accomplished and the things that she believes that she did correctly and that she feels like she's in a spot finally in her life where she's like, yeah, I know. And karma's on my side. It worked out in my favor. All the, like she said on uh, the last record, all of her nemeses just swung on themselves and fell themselves. She didn't have to do anything. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I do like the cat uh, karma cat. But I do also do like the breakdown, like you said, karma yeah. coming back, like karma is the thunder, karma is a bounty hunter. Uh, yeah, it's because it is. It's yeah, it is what you think karma is, which is both <laughs> the good and the bad things that come with it. Right, and that's what this song is. Just it's both good and bad. Like I don't, I don't know that there's a lot bad here because we both really love this song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's great. It's fun. It's a jam. Um, but also it's got that additional like depth to it, which I really appreciate for it, where it's like, yeah, no, like beyond the cheesy lyrics, it's also, she's saying something about like more about like her relationship to just the idea of that, even if karma does exist, which is fascinating. So yeah, it probably moves on for now. Yes. Um, as we move on into sweet nothings and then we can move on from this too. Yeah, I because mean, the end is coming. But you, know, wanna, you got your sweet nothings. Yeah, I do want to talk about sweet nothing a little bit. I don't love this song. Uh, I think it's fine, but it is interesting for a handful of reasons. Um, I have here that it's adorable but pretty slight. Um, there's not a whole lot happening here. It's very simple. It reminds me kind of New Year's Day, but I like it slightly less than newer New Year's mm-hmm. Day. Um, it does make the kind of lullaby nature of it make made me wonder, hey, has Taylor ever thought about doing a children's album? <laughs> <laughs> but then yeah, then then I love the story, the little story that she tells about like Joe in the car with her saying like saying like complimenting her on her songwriting and being like, and she she just nonchalantly says, This happens all the time. <laughs> I love Taylor's little again, humble brag about like, oh yeah, he, he thinks I'm a genius. No big. And of course, a theme we'll revisit on the next song. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, the lines that I wrote down, industry disruptors and soul deconstructors and smooth talking hucksters all glad handing each other. And the voices that implore you should be doing more to you, I can admit that I'm just too soft for all of it. I like it because she's addressing so much in just that one line. She's basically saying, like, there's so many people like that were at some point or are still trying to get my ass and it's a lot and it's overwhelming and then the other side of that too the people who are meet who mean well but are bugging her about like no you need to speak about this where is taylor why isn't taylor saying stuff about like this uh issue or that issue or whatever and she's just admitting to joe in a moment of real vulnerability it's like Sometimes it's just, I can't handle it. Sometimes I just don't want to say anything. Sometimes I just don't feel ready for it. It's finally her admitting, after all those years of everybody saying all that stuff to her, and I even wrote down, sorry, Taylor, I'm guilty of this too. 
Like I was with them, with everybody else saying like, hey, she should be using her platform for good. And to hear her say herself about how that makes her feel like, yeah, it's a moment where like, I feel kind of guilty. Like I was part of that. We all were. And it humanizes her in a way. And so I think that's the one moment of the song that that's actually like is a really interesting takeaway. It's like, oh, she really feels like she can open up to this guy to the point where she'll admit something like this, that she is a human not just a celebrity like role model and that sometimes it's hard to be a role model period. And I get that. We had a lot to say about sweet nothing. I know more than I thought. Uh, when I was writing yeah. about it, I was like, eh, yeah, it's still a C, but it's like an interesting C. Oh, it's a C it's a <laughs> fine song. It talks about like the ending, but you know, you still got your, your baby. Uh, what was it closure was kind of the same thing too a little bit except closure is like i said like a little bit of uneven ground sweet nothing yeah. feels like it's solid like she knows that this is a solid relationship that she's finally landed on and this is her song talking about how it's so strong that she can feel like she can finally relax all right but to taylor plan plan all of it <laughs> that's a good question and it's answered on the song mastermind uh so Oh boy, I've been through a journey with this song as well. I think when I first heard it, I just didn't get it. I was like, wow, this is a lot. Uh, but the more I listen to it, I'm like, oh, this is brilliant, actually. It's Taylor in a nutshell. Like, she wrote a song that takes the Taylor identity that was kind of hinted at in a self-referential way on Blank Space, but then owns it to the point where she's like, yeah, no, I know. And that's a it's a good thing that I'm like this. And it's the reason why things have ha- like worked out in my love life is because it wasn't faded like enchanted throw that out down the out the window invisible string eh, maybe but no i did it it's me <laughs> like she's basically making the argument no longer is it fate they fell in love no she made everything happen like she made that happen and everything and then the second verse it does the trick that mad woman does which is not only does Taylor have to do this, did this, but women do it all the time. She's basically saying like, no, like we have to because of the lot that we're given in comparison to men. She's basically making the argument, no, women have to be brilliant strategists because we're forced to do so. Because if we don't, we're looked over. If we don't, we lose opportunities. So it's almost like we have to be Machiavellian. We have to think play four-dimensional chess or else we don't get the things we deserve. And Taylor is arguing she did do all of that. And that's why she's successful. It's why she found finally the love that she was looking for. But then that bridge. No one wanted to play with me as a little kid. So I've been scheming like a criminal ever since to make them love me and make it seem effortless. <laughs> So on the third, so with the bridge, she's even saying, not only did I feel like I had to do this, but also it was an emotional response. It goes back to that theme when I was talking about with Mirabal, where she has to perform to feel like she is full. She has to do this, do these things to feel like a, like, to feel like a full person, to be the person she, she, she wants to be. And that she's been like, she does it because like like it's just in her soul she has to do it and but at the same time she has to make it look like she's not trying because there's also that vulnerable taylor from mirrorball and this is me trying that's trying to emerge and trying to come out and be like 
I'm too soft for all of this. Like she just said in Sweet Nothing. But she has to pretend that none of it that flies right past her. Because again, like in Mad Woman, there's expectations for women that make that hard for her. And she feels like she has to defy. But then the moment that everything really gets crazy is when she's like, oh yeah, but it's fine because you knew all of this. Talking about Joe, be like, yeah, you. I saw that smile. Joe signed up for this because he wanted somebody like that. So it's not even, so it's almost like at the end of it, all having said all of that, Joe was still on board. And that's ultimately the the success story. And that's ultimately the triumph at the end of Mastermind, which is incredible. <laughs> it's just like baffling. <laughs> it is such a ride. The song is wild how it goes from point A to point X. Like somehow trying, and all of those points are cogent arguments for why Taylor is the person she is. It's such a wild song. It's okay. She planned it all. This is... <laughs> I don't say this is her like um finally this is her finally kind of shut off that imposter syndrome and yeah. being confident, being yeah. like, no, I did this. This was me planning it. Like I didn't quite plan it exactly, but I am the reason all of it came. Like you said, it's not just mm-hmm. the invisible string pulling her along. It's not just her being an anti-hero. It's her owning up to everything that's happened mm-hmm. and saying, Yes, this is me come. Uh, um, it's just this is all of me that I've come to accept both the good and the bad. Yeah, yeah, and then she owns it, and that's ultimately good advice. Mm-hmm. Like you should own those pieces of yourself and understand that, even if they're admitting that you think you're a genius, <laughs> because this is that move. It's the it's the move that everybody was like rolling their eyes about when Kanye did it. But the thing is, is that Taylor actually pulls it off because she is because the song convinces you that she's right. (laughs) So, yeah, it's it's a moment on this thing. And I think it definitely absolutely moves on. And that means we're at the end of Midnight's. And that means that, oh, boy, the hardest job is now locking down only four of these songs. All right, so we've been at this for two and a half hours just about. <laughs> we need to make this fast. Otherwise, okay. this will be our longest podcast ever. Yeah, I believe it. Uh, so <sighs> I feel like we have to just try to do four locks and then see. So let's start with Folklore. So out of all of these songs, I think the one that I think has to be the lock to start is Betty. Is Betty? Ooh, not yeah, Mirrorball? I think Betty's the lock. And I think that Mirrorball's strong, but Betty is a song that isn't just strong for folklore. It's strong compared to every Taylor Swift song to me. Like, I think it's the Taylor Swift song on the record, which makes me think, like, it has to, it's the one that can compete in this bracket. Because if it's competing against stuff, if this song that we're moving on is going to compete with stuff from Speak Now, from Red, like, nothing punches higher than Betty. See, I'm going with Mirrorball because it is mm. the more personal song that she's written up until that point, probably up until Mastermind. It is, but it reminds, I think its similarities to The Archer uh, make me worry about how it's going to do in the bracket. Yeah, we didn't move The Archer on. How about, let's highlight both Betty and Mirrorball for now and revisit okay. this if we have to cut one. All right. 
right. So, so that means we're dropping Cardigan August, August and Illicit Affair. Affair. I think we which have we knew to. with Illicit Affair, and then if Betty is a combination of both Cardigan right. and August. Yeah, I think that's why it represents that. Um, okay. And yeah, I think that those three. I mean, the strength of Mirabel and Betty. I think those three have to be the uh, have to be cut. Um, if we want to do one from Evermore, I think it's Champagne Problems. I think you're right. I, th- I think Ivy is fun, but I think Champagne Problems is the song on that record. So that means we have to pick from Midnight's now. Yeah. So, so I think we just I can pretty much confirm both Mastermind on here, right? Yeah, I think it probably is Mastermind and Antihero. There's a good argument for it, uh, but. I think that Mastermind does similar, like tread similar ground. It's not going to be a hit hit, but I feel like the meaning behind it and just how elaborate it is, I think definitely give it points. Um, So, however, here's the option. Do we take off one of the highlighted songs from Folklore and give another highlight to Midnight's? For example, something like You're On Your Own Kid or Antihero. Do you think there's enough of an argument for something on Midnight's that would be better than highlighting both Mirrorball and Betty? My argument would be between Mirrorball or You're On Your Own Kid. Hmm, okay. Because they both kind of represent Taylor in two different modes. On Your Own Kid is the Reflection Taylor, which I don't think we have Reflection Taylor on here. Yeah, we might not. I don't think we do. And I do uh, like... The closest we get to is Forever and Always. Yeah. And I do like how uh, You're On Your Own Kid is almost like the Eras Tour in Microcosm, mm-hmm. which means it's interesting on this bracket uh, because it deals with nostalgia in a way. Um, hmm... So yeah, ultimately, I think since you were lobbying so hard for Mirrorball, I think maybe this is your call. Because I like You're On Your Own Kid probably more than Mirrorball, maybe by a little bit. So I guess I'll leave this to you to discuss with yourself, because you really, really thought Mirrorball needed to be on here. I think Mirrorball needs to be on here more so in terms of just a song ballad. Mm -hmm. Uh. But yeah, in terms of like a reflection song, You're On Your Own Kid is a great Taylor writing Taylor about Taylor. Mm. But does it work as a song, though? So yeah, think about it. In like, the, it the I terms... don't think because I don't think like You're On Your Own Kid goes on the playlist for Taylor mm. songs, whereas Mirrorball does. So so then for the, the, the terms of the bracket, then which one do you yes. think your gut says will fight better? Uh, my gut says you're on your own kid just because it is <laughs> a Taylor ass Taylor written about Taylor's song. Okay. And it is a reflection on her entire career. Okay. Well, then that sounds like a decision to me. So let's highlight it and All have right. our four songs. Does that mean we take off Mastermind? Wait, no. Wait, no. Yeah, we take off <laughs> Mirrorball, right? Because that's the one we were just, just choosing between. Oh, Sorry. bye bye, Mirrorball. Hey, you Sorry, just, Mirrorball. I asked you to make that decision. You made it. <laughs> Yeah, I'd rather get rid of this Mastermind if we're talking about that then. No, these are our four. Okay. <laughs> so, hey, let's four... expand the bracket. No, no, we can't do that. No, okay, we, we have to that. cut this. We have, we we're have done. Okay, this. we're done. We're real done quick. here. Real quick, let's just recap. So, moving on from the modern era, Betty, Champagne Problems, You're on Your Own Kid, and Mastermind, which means, real quick, the 16 songs competing in the 16 song bracket in part five next week will be. Our song, Love Story, You Belong With Me, Forever and Always, Sparks Fly, Enchanted, Red, 
All Too Well, Blank Space, Getaway Car, Cruel Summer, The Archer, Betty, Champagne Problems, You're On Your Own Kid, and Mastermind. Wow, I think we actually did it. I think we did actually narrow down the 16 best songs. And I think we actually did have our longest podcast ever. So (laughs) if you like listening to us for just about two and a half hours, going on three hours, hey, thank you for listening to us. (laughs) Thank you. We're now going to watch Otani swinging some balls. Thank you for uh, joining us. Uh, we'll be back next week for part five, our bracket of 16. One will rule. Who will it be? Listen to our podcast feed to find out. Or if you're from the future, listen to all of it all at once. All right. Bye. Bye.